Hashem wonderful to be here, Baruch Hashem. I feel like uh, ever since we had uh, passed the uh, very difficult day of Tisha B'Av, the very difficult time before it, the very difficult time during it, Baruch Hashem, the Shefail uh, from Elohim is coming, a lot of good things are happening, Baruch Hashem. Uh, and just, uh, you see, there's a... Uh, um, Good energy, good energy in the air. So even though there's difficulties every single second, I don't know, it's, it's like the good energy uh, it has on, on top of the difficulty. Baruch uh, Hashem, it's a um, good feedback. We got a lot of good feedback from uh, the app today. Lots of people downloaded it. I don't know exactly uh, how many, but uh, lots of people downloaded it. Uh, lots of people um Complained that it came on uh, on the iTunes and not on Android. So, uh, but Bezat uh, Hashem, the Android version will come out in the next couple of months. It won't take two years uh, since the overall platform is built. Uh, you know, so just to uh, redesign, recreate it for for another, uh, I guess, platform uh, won't be as difficult as Hashem. Uh, anyone that wants to uh, partner with us on all of the Kiruv, the Zikwe'a Rabim that we're doing, uh, whether one time or monthly, whatever it is, this is the time. I'm trying to do a lot of really big things, Bezat Hashem, for Fa'am Yisrael, and Hashem Amash is helping us. He's helping us. Like I told you, this app was two years in the making. Two years in the making, I told the developer, uh, there's a, you know, a few people contributed, but there's one particular, one particular person, Amash, sacrifices life. For the last two years, I told him I'm jealous of him. I'm jealous. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not joking. I'm not, I'm not jealous of this person. What kind of schuyot? What kind of schuyot are you going to have? Is not the shame of such a thing, such a vehicle. You have a, you have a uh, musar machine that you can take anywhere in the world, available in, in, in your hand. And somebody, uh, it's 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 much. There's no there's no no uh, no words to describe it. I heard. A uh, little bit of an intro to um, the beginning of uh, Rabbi uh, Mizrahi's shiur last night. Uh, he, uh, we, had a, we had a story we shared together, a student, uh, who I told you guys last night, about Ahmad Muhammad, that Baruch Hashem is a tzaddik, he's in the process of converting. He, uh, and uh, he sent, actually posted more details of his story on our website. Uh, there's a section on the website, the bezatashem.org website, it's called Tshuva Stories, where uh, really the idea is to have you and other people that have learned Torah with us, uh, they got chizuk, whether you did Tshuva because of it, whether you got chizuk out of it, whether you converted, whatever it is, uh, share their story, share their story of how, because uh, this, people hear real stories, it gives them more chizuk than they hear a story of somebody else. Why? hear that a guy that lives just like you, and he's just like you, and he lives in a different part of the world, and so on and so forth, but he also is able to overcome the Satan, the Malach HaMavid, the Yitzhah, and all of his friends. He's able to overcome it, it gives you Chizuk. I know it gives me Chizuk. So we created a, a site, Sani Sheikh yeah, did a nice nice section in the, in the website, uh, that he, uh, you know, it's called Tshuva Stories, and Baruch Hashem, we had already several uh, people take the time and put their tshuva story. Um, and each one of them, you see it, Mamash, thank you, Mamash, 
Every one of them you see, it's Lamash is beautiful. It's beautiful stories. It's a little uh, pele. Um, it's not. It's not like surprising that Rabbi Yonatan Ibishitz said that when a person does tshuva, it's a miracle. Like he's not saying it's a miracle. Wow, it's nice. Wow, no, no. Lamash, he's saying you know, you know, you, you know what? Kiat Yamsuf. Hashem split the ocean into twelve. 12 different tunnels, one for each one of the tribes, the Rambam says. He writes it, you know, even the, the Rambam actually made a drawing of all the, the, the how the Amsuf was actually split. It's a miracle, right? He says the same thing. If somebody does tshuva, same thing. It's all just as a miracle. Why? We don't understand how deep in the mud we are until we do tshuva. We don't understand how much tinofit, how much... Garbage is in our minds, in our soul, until we're outside. And uh, so people write, people of Hashem have wrote several really wonderful stories. Uh, briefly, i tell you, one guy had a uh, very tough upbringing, broken ho- uh, home, and uh, literally was self-destructing his life. He sells himself, he starts off this, the, the, the story... He says, my self-destruction was what? Wasting seed. He says, I got so addicted to this wasting seed. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. In fact, there was doctors that told me it's good, it's healthy. And only when he stopped, after he listened to the shurim, and he realized this is a spiritual disaster, did he actually start healing both physically and mentally. Right now, right now, right the second we're talking about right now, he's in yeshiva. He's in Kolel in Yerushalayim right now. He's in Ol Sameach, one of the holiest places on earth. He's in Ol Sameach right now, learning Torah. This person in the story, in the middle, at the beginning of the story, he's like, ah, this guy's probably died. He's probably, this is probably his eulogy. He probably wrote a eulogy for himself, and he's scared, it's his will. Like, in the beginning of the story, like, this guy probably died. There's no way he made it out of this. There's no way. He's in a kolel right now. Another guy, another guy, Tzaddik Yesod Olam. But how did he start? He started, he said, I grew up, not Jewish, in a world where people told me it's perfectly fine and even preferable that you can be homosexual. Homosexual. So he said, I thought it was like a mitzvah. Like, ah, it's, it's, meaning, what, what's wrong with being homosexual? What's wrong with being homosexual? It's how, how he grew up, me scared, how he grew up. He says the Musa that he learned, he says, I don't even have the desire anymore. It's not that he just stopped. Listen, stopping is already a big mala. We stop with homosexuality, it's very difficult. It's an addiction, it's, it's the worst of worst. It's a, it's a Satan himself. To stop is already difficult. To stop wasting seed is already difficult. To stop, you know, uh, being uh, with things you're not supposed it's, it's difficult. But now, Mamash, he got so much Torah, so much Musab, he says, I don't have the desire anymore. Mamash, perfect, normal human, Mamash, normal. Kodesh. From what? He says, Musab. Musab. You see these stories, it gives you Chizuk. Another one I tell you, because I don't know if you guys are going to take the time and read, I'm just going to tell you guys. And I also, it gives me Chizuk. It gives me Chizuk. Why? It's one woman, Miskena, she had a death in the family. You know, somebody dies. It's so difficult. It's hard for us to understand that life doesn't end. It just continues, but in a different place. 
It's like the two babies that were in the in, in, in mommy's belly for, for, for months. They're arguing between each other. One guy says, oh, I can't wait to get to Olam Abba. He goes, what Olam Abba? This is it. Olam Azeh, Olam Azeh. After this, we're finished. He goes, no, there's Olam Abba. I believe, I believe there's Olam Abba. This is just a corridor. This is nothing. We're here only for a little while. The other guy's saying, you're crazy. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Live it up here. Look, you got food, you got drinks, you got this, you got... Get the Malach teaching us Chavruta. What's the problem? You learn Torah with the Malach, the Gemara says. Teaches you the entire Torah. One day, the one that believed in Olam Abba is born. Meaning, he leaves the, the mommy's belly. The one that's still left behind, he says, Wow, well, miskeh, wow, well, poor guy, guy. I can't believe Hashem took him so young. He says, I can't believe Hashem took him so young. He was such a good guy. I love him, I miss him. Ah, he's scared. He had such delusions. Delusions that there's a Olam Abba. Now he knows there's nothing. Little does he know, the other one is happy. Why? He sees Abba and Nima. Bauch Abba. Bauch Abba. Everybody's so happy to see him the way he's been for all these years. Nine months in the belly. They're waiting for him. Bauch Abba. Bauch Abba. Everybody's crying. He's crying. They're crying. Everybody's crying. But everybody's happy. The guy inside, still in Olam HaShekir, in, in a false world, he thinks, ah, oh, miskin, miskin. He's in, who's miskin, Bimit? The guy's living a lie. So it's hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to believe. It's hard for us to understand the concept that there's another world, that this is nothing. This is a corridor. That's why, that's why Chuvai is a miracle. But this one woman, this one woman from Canada, she had death in her family. She was lost. And I actually think uh, she even had cancer. If I remember the story correctly. Mamash, all the kaparat avonot, they put it as a package deal. Miskena, poor woman. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know right. She doesn't know left. Miskena, nothing. She goes to Yerushalayim. You know, she's not religious. She goes to Yerushalayim. What do people do when you go? You go to Kotel. People think that, uh, you know, Kotel is a holy place when they think it's the holiest place in the world. It's, it's not, but nonetheless, it's a holy place. I know I get a very special feeling when I go there. And um, she goes there, and she goes to the place where the women are. And she doesn't know what she's, you know, she doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't know what, right, left, nothing. And she sees in the corner. There's a lot of people in the corner. Everybody ever went to the corner. If you haven't, you should go. But if you if, if you have gone, you remember there's a lot of people in the corner. A lot of people in the corner. And. Uh, she sees like on one, uh, like on a shelf, the separator over there. It's like one CD. It's like one CD in the Kotel in Israel. She's from Canada. It's like one CD. And she looks over, see what is this CD? What is this? It's in English. Oh, in English CD. She understands English. She doesn't know any Hebrew. She understands hey, one CD. There's not like a line of CDs, boxes of CDs. One CD. There's one CD, and it happens to be in English. And it says from Wall Street to the Western Wall. From Wall Street to the Western Wall, at the Western Wall. She says, who does this belong to? And one of the uh, women over there, she goes, for you, for you, it's for you. Take it. It's really for me, it's for you, take it. One CD in the end of the world, in English, the language she speaks, You understand what such a story is, you understand what kind of divine providence 
is involved. You go to the end of the world, you go to a place you don't know anybody, you don't know the language, you don't know right, you don't know left. There's a place, what are the chances there's going to be a CD there, number one. Number two, what are the chances there's going to be a CD in the language you understand. Number three, what are the chances that it's actually doesn't belong to somebody. Number four, what's the chances that the CD is actually going to be especially perfect for you to do tshuva? Why is it not a CD for songs? CD for cartoons? CD for God only knows what kind of things there is today in the world. What's the CD? CD in Torah emit. That is specially catered for your neshama. What's the chances? You see, these stories are on the website. And any of you that have been affected and it's helped you in any way, shape, or form, you want to help other people, go onto the website and put your story in there. Put your story in there, short, long, doesn't make a difference. You may not think that your story is powerful, but it is. Everybody has their own story. Everybody, think, everybody has their own, their own uh, story. And um, you would be surprised how powerful a personal tshuva story is. And Ahmed Muhammad's uh, personal story, I believe, is only going to get better. Because he's still very young, and he's still in the early stages of his, uh, of his tshuva. And, uh, but you already see good midot, you already see real dedication, you already see mesirut nefesh, you see sacrifice. But on the other hand, it also reminds us of the Gemara that says that gerim, converts, are like a skin disease for Am Yisrael. Converts are like a skin disease for Am Yisrael. The Chachamim give several different perushim, several different uh, commentaries on what this means. What could it mean? Skin disease doesn't sound so much, like so much fun. I can tell you from experience, it's not fun at all. So, why why would Hashem call Gerim converts a skin disease? He says thirty six times in the Torah that converts have special protection, have spe- special VIP treatment in Shemaim. It's mentioned in the Torah more than anything else in the Torah, even more than Shabbat. The love that Hashem has for the converts is unbelievable to such an extent that the Rambam in Yechot writes that an obligation to, to uh, love a Jew is obvious. But the obligation to love a convert is not so obvious. Why? Because to love a Jew, it's your brother. Could be your natural biological brother. Could be your brother just because uh, you're, he's a Jew and you're a Jew and so on. So it's, if he's a decent human being and you're a decent human being, it's not so difficult to feel love for them. For a convert, for a convert, Rabotai, the Rambam, Posek Lalacha, he says you're obligated to love the convert as much as you love God. Not only are you supposed to love him like another Jew, you're actually supposed to love him more than a regular natural born Jew. In fact, you're supposed to love him so much like you love God. This is this is this is mezazeh. Uh, this is uh, earth sh- shaking. Such a thing. The Rambam says, "Alacha, you have to." Unfortunately, not everybody exercises this mitzvah. Everybody's uh, a lot of people going to have to go up to Shemaim and uh, spend some time uh, getting punished for their lack of love for the converts. Some even get punished severely for their hate of converts and, and prejudice against converts. But I can tell you that one of the most wonderful things that a person can do 
is if he has an opportunity or she has an opportunity to make a convert happy, stop what you're doing, go do it. Even if it's just getting them coffee, even if it's just saying, giving them chizuk, even if it's whatever it is, if you have an opportunity to make a, con- a real convert, I'm not talking about people that converted for marriage because, uh, you know, the guy is this and the girl is that. No, no, I'm not talking about real converts. I'm talking about tzadikim. You have an opportunity to make a convert happy. It's the easiest lotto winnings you're ever going to have. It's the easiest lotto winning you're ever going to have. It's an opportunity to make converts happy. Baruch Hashem, I have, I have this opportunity every day. And it's very easy because she's my wife. Uh, but the uh, the key is for each one of us to understand that it's not only a mitzvah to love a Jew, it's a mitzvah to love the convert. So I think that this uh, Ahmed Muhammad's story is uh, is going to get stronger and stronger as we go, as we go further, but it's very, very interesting. So he wrote more details of the story is the point. On the website, anyone that wants to uh, see it, Vimesh at Sadiq, uh, publicize it on our WhatsApp groups and on uh, Facebook. But anyone that wants to see it uh, uh, can go directly to the website and see it. Uh, is it on the app? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Second thing is in regards to the app, Baruch Hashem, the app is getting fantastic reviews. People are liking it. It's fast. They're using it. There's already a few complaints, Baruch Hashem, but that's good. It's also good feedback. The uh, Android version, Bezal Hashem, will come out in a few months. We're also going to make the first uh, a few revisions, a few new features that we weren't able to uh, launch right off the bat, probably in the next week or so. It's going to be an update. Uh, and we're going to continue adding more and more things to it, but uh, it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing that it's out. Um, the uh, other things that we're, we've been working on for a long time also are uh, finally ready, getting approval, got approval. There's going to be a few earthquakes. I'm not a Navi. Not a, not, a, uh, not a prophet or anything, but I can tell you that uh, a couple of those movies are going to create some earthquakes. Earthquake is They're going to make a little bit of a spiritual earthquake in the religious world, in the secular world, in the world in general. Because uh, as you always obviously know, our job is to tell you the truth. To tell Amisel the truth. And the truth sometimes is not pleasing. The truth sometimes hurts. Uh, the truth doesn't always get you the most amount of fans. But we're not in the business of getting fans. We're in the business of getting results. And I know that in the intro of the lecture the, that Rav Mizrahi, Shikye, said last night, he says, 20-something, 21 years ago, he made the first Torah in science, Informatia Elokit video, with Yuval Ovadia, Rabbi Yuval Ovadia. At the time, it was just Yuval Ovadia, the, uh, the producer. Now, Baruch Hashem, is Rabbi Yuval Ovadia. does a lot of really good videos. 11 or 12 years uh, later, he uh, went to uh, J-Root Radio, the guys at J-Root Radio, Tzadikim, and uh, sat down in their professional studio, and they recorded him for four and a half hours, four hours and 15 minutes. One take, Ishtabach Shimolat, special siyat Dishmaya, to do Torah and science. Now, Torah and science is not your typical lecture. I can tell you from being a professional speaker for 20-something years, uh, 
It's not so simple to just uh, uh, read specific things, specific facts with page numbers and so on and so forth so smoothly and all flows. Like, okay, so let's see, for example, if you talk about the fish proof over here, but then the next proof is the sun. All right, it's fine, but it's a little bit of a difficult segue. Meaning that you have to connect the fish and the animal and whatever. All the, all the proofs have to connect. That's, that's the, uh, in speaking, in the speaking world, you can't just say a story about, uh, you know, a rabbi here, and the next thing you know, you talk about uh, Smurfs. It doesn't really, unless the rabbi is a Smurf. So, sat there, did the shiurim, and uh, the guys at J Radio, Ashrem Vashrechelkem, they did it for free. Mamash Akol Eshma. And uh, he said himself, it's like unbelievable what kind of schuyot they have. I mean, the amount of balet shuva, the amount of converts, the amount of people that have changed their life from the movie Torah and Science, I mean, you could only imagine. I, he said 30,000 people have done shuva that he knows of from it. I think he's understating it. I think it's a lot more. Because not only is the people that did shuva, it's their children, it's their families, and then obviously it relates to my story as well. My wife, that was you know the, the, the final nail, the final sign for her to, do, to, to convert, for her to become a tzaddik that she is today, Baruch Hashem. And imagine that. She did it. Baruch Hashem, we were able to do tshuva. Now, we're, what we're doing, Baruch Hashem? Every day we deal with Torah, Zikriya Rabim, applications, movies. All of it goes to the same account. We think it stops at her. No, this is the best. This is the best thing in all. That's why I tell people, instead of investing your money and your time and your energy and all this nonsense that's temporary, the houses and the cars and the videos and all this stuff, Mamash, if you know what's good for you, invest in Kiruv. If you know what's good for you, invest in Kiruv because it doesn't end. It doesn't end, Rabotai. The blessing doesn't end. A person is judged every year on Rosh Hashanah. Whether he's alive or dead, he's judged every year. Every year Hashem has to give him a reward or punishment based on what he did. A person that left this world with children that he didn't teach them Torah and mitzvot, he didn't teach them good midot, even if he himself was a tzaddik, even if he himself, he did mitzvot, he learned Torah, he wrote Torah, he did this, he did that. But his kids, when he left, he died, you know, they were young, they still didn't become criminals. But then he, uh, a few years passed, they grew up, they became criminals. They, be, they became sex criminals, they became all types of other sins. Rabotai, the Sfarim HaKadoshim, the Holy Book says they take in Shamaim, on Rosh Hashanah, they take him out of Gan Eden. They take him out of Gan Eden, they put him in Gehenom. Which is what I do. I've been in Gan Eden already 15 years, I like it here. It's like, yes, you liked it here while the kids were still babies. But because you didn't teach them any good things, they grew up, they became spiritual criminals. What do you want us to do? Give you a reward for that? You have criminals that you left behind. You have criminals you left behind. What are we going to do? You have to, you have to pay the bill. It's your fault. Instead of teaching them Torah, Musar, Mitzvot, what do you teach them? Taught them to, to, to play basketball. You taught them to be a good soccer player. You taught them to, uh, you know, to yell at people when they don't listen to you. What do you teach them? You have to pay. So how do we how do we undo the damage? Go get the opposite. Get people to do tshuva. Get people to do tshuva. Have other children. Doesn't have to be your biological children. 
have other children, you give somebody a CD, you press share, you press the share button, it takes literally a millisecond. You see a shiur Torah, eh, you press share. You press that share, let's say you have, I don't know, a thousand people on your page that are friends with you. Out of the thousand people, maybe a hundred of them are actually going to see this video. They're going to see it on their page. Because of the algorithm, it doesn't show it to everybody and so on and so forth. A hundred people are actually going to show up on their page. Out of the hundred people that show on their page, maybe, maybe 30 or 40 of them are actually going to click. Out of the 30 or 40 are going to click, let's say, we're going to be uh, you know, generous with our, uh, or conservative with our numbers. Let's say only five actually watch the Shiur Torah. Out of the five that watch Shiur Torah, two do tshuva. You know what kind of mitzvot, you know what kind of olama ba you have for just those two people doing tshuva? He does tshuva, his wife does tshuva, she does tshuva, her, wife, her husband does tshuva, the little kids do tshuva, now their friends do tshuva, their grandkids do tshuva. You have 100, 200, 300,000 people do tshuva. What do you do? What do you do? You press share once. It took you half a second. Somebody that understands the value... All day be pressing like a robot. Doot, doot, doot. He'd buy a special program. If you spend $100,000, $100,000 on a program, just to press share all day. He'd spend, instead of buying a house for, for putting a down payment for $100,000, he'd go buy a program. I don't know if a program like that exists. He'd buy a program that presses share all day. A share all day of, of, of real Torah lectures. Mamash, mamash. That's what he's going to do. Why? Because he, if one time it works... I have, I have 310 worlds. For one time. One person does tshuva. One person does tshuva. The Torah says 310 worlds. 310 different worlds. Cosmos, planets, suns. 310 worlds. What if you do it every two seconds? Every five seconds? Every five minutes? Every Five minutes a day? Five minutes a day? Ten minutes a day? An hour a day? There's no end. There's no end. So that's why the guys did Torah and science, look at the reward they have. Who would have thought at the time? Who would have thought? Okay, so we'll make another movie. Okay, so we'll make another thing. Okay, it's nice, it's a mitzvah. Who would have thought the world would be, would be shaken? A decade later, people are watching it, changing their lives because of it. Now you see this, this, this tzaddik did an application Fast, up to date, an opportunity for people to do Kiruv. You could just take the lectures on the app. You press share on the app. You like the share lecture. You enjoyed it. You listened to it. You watched it. You listened and watched to it. Whatever you did. You liked it. What do you do? Five seconds. What? Share. Share with who? You have people on your phone? Everyone. Everyone. That's how you just don't, don't. Oh, no. He likes it. He doesn't like it. He's atheist. She's atheist. He's mad. No, no. Don't think, Rabotai. Don't think. You know what the Chachamim, Chachamim were baffled. Why? The Gemara calls Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. You know what it calls them? You know what it calls Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov? The Tzadikim, the Kedoshim, the Malachim. You know what it calls them? Behemot. Why? Why is it called Behemot? Behemot's cattle. Why? Why Behemot? Why? Why is it called Avraham, Behemot? Usually is a, uh, Why did Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov got to such a ma'ala of Kedusha? Because all they need, they were narrow focused. What does Hashem want? That's what I'm doing. You're never going to see, you're never going to see a cow tell the owner, you know what, today I'm off. I don't, I'm, you know, I, I have a little stomach ache today. 
have a stomachache. I'm not in today. Call me tomorrow. Tomorrow will come for milk. Tomorrow. You're never going to see a, uh, you know, a, a little uh, a little cow going out for smoking a cigarette. No, no, I'll be back in 10 minutes. I'll be back. What does the cow do? What does the sheep do? What do they, what do, they do? They do what the boss says. What the shepherd says, go, we go. That is what Avraham Yitzhak and Yaakov did. A person doesn't have to, says to, has to mamash, take his brain, throw it in the garbage. Press share. Share anyone that's on your phone. Any, that's why you have to understand, nothing happens for no reason. If Hashem connected you to somebody, there's a reason for it. You may be the vessel, you may be the reason why this person can change their life and do tshuva and get close to Hashem and get olam haba. You. Hashem put it in your hands that you connected to some guy in Australia, you connected to your friend from childhood that you reconnected with him again for the first time in 20 years. You have a neighbor, you have a friend, you have a cousin, you have a brother. He's connected to you. What is he doing? Hashem is sending to you because he has nothing to do. He wants you to have friends. Well, maybe you can have friends. You'll have something to do. You guys can have barbecues together. Like, you really think that Hashem, this is what Hashem does with Himself? He gives you friends so you can have barbecues with people? No, so you have somebody to play video games with. Like, what do you, you think Hashem really, Mamash, like He gave you friends and people that are connected to you so you could work with them, colleagues? Like He cares about your job, Echlal? No. It's you connected to them. Connected to them. So you could be the vessel. You could have the merit. You could have the job. What? To go help them get the Ganeden. Get to heaven. So now the biggest, the biggest thing when you go up to Shammai and say, look, we gave a thousand, we gave you an opportunity with a thousand different people in your life. Just on your Facebook, you had a thousand people that you were friends with, even if you weren't friends with them. You said you were, you connected them in some way. You could have pressed share. Out of the thousand people, ten, we already knew in Shammai, ten we're going to do tshuva. You didn't press share. Oh, you only press share nine times, not ten. You got tired. You got tired on the tent. When the Malachim came to Avraham Avinu, did Avraham Avinu know the Malachim? No. What do you think they were? Arabs. Three Arabs. They were idol worshippers. But yet he tells Sarai Menu, Sarah, go get, make cakes. Make this, make this, make that. If Sarah, if Sarah, think about this. Rabbi again says, if Sarah Imenu one day, that one day, our whole life she was tzaddika. But that day she says, you know what, I have a headache. Get somebody else to do it. I have a headache today. There's three people. We have, a, we have guests every day. Avram, Saritova, do me a favor. Get somebody else to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I have a headache. I have a headache. I'm, uh, I'm tired. It's hot outside. It's 300 degrees outside. It's, tell them to come tomorrow. Tell them, you do it. You know, Sarai is tired for one day. Would she be Sarai Menu? No. She would not be Sarai Menu because she was tired for one day. She didn't press share one day. You wouldn't have Sarai Menu. She wouldn't be the mother of all of Am Yisrael today. If when Eliezer came and he saw Leah, he says, uh, listen, uh, proof, uh, I need, I need, uh, he really is looking for a sign. He says, Hashem, if you send me somebody that's going to not only give water to me, but also to all my ten camels. You know how much a camel drinks? Do you know how much a camel drinks? 
You need like an army of people just to, to give enough water to one camel. He says, if she gives water to me, but also to all my camels, then I know it's a sign. If Leah said, oh, said, you know what? Hey, here's a cup of water. You know what? I'll give you a bottle. Chabot. Here's a bottle. Nice. Enjoy the bottle. Free. Free. I paid for it. I paid for it. I paid for it. Oh, it's on me. But your camels, do yourself. You have uh, servants. You have employees. It's not like Elias says by himself. He has employees. Each one is jmil. Each one is huge. Each one is big guy. He can serve himself. Little three-year-old, you wanted to give you feed and give you water to all your camels? Do yourself. Elias says, I'm tired. I'm small. I'm not able. I'm little. I'm this. I'm that. All the excuses in the world we say why we can't be tzaddikim. I'm tired. I'm this. I'm that. Everything, but to go for everything else, we have time. It's too hard. It's too this. I wasn't born this way. I'm not this way. He wasn't that way. I wasn't taught that way. This way. And that, all the excuses in the world. If, if Leah said it, would she be Leah? No, she'd be some Arab woman in the middle of the desert that no one ever heard of. Why? She wouldn't be the Kala of Yitzchak. She wouldn't be the Kala of Yitzchak. So who would she marry from Yitzchak? Some Arab. She'd, she'd marry Mustafa. She'd marry Mustafa, have another 15, 20 Mustafot, a couple of Muhammads and a Fatma, bring a couple of people, and maybe, maybe Ahmad Muhammad Sadiq will come out of it after 15 or 20, but in reality, until you get to Ahmad Muhammad from, uh, you know, a couple of thousand years later, I mean, how many, uh, how many Muhammads do you, know, do you have? Haters of Islam do you have? Meaning, if she was three-year-old little, three-year-old little Leah, if she was tired, lazy, huh? Rifka, I'm sorry. If Rifka was, was a little bit, a little bit, thank you. If Rifka was lazy just one day, she was tired, it's hot. It's a desert, after all, it's a desert. There's no uh, central air like here right now. You guys, central air, Baruch Hashem, it's not like uh, the, yesterday. Yesterday was like, uh, we were giving a lecture in a, in a volcano. Today, Baruch Hashem, we're in a nice uh, central air, Baruch Hashem. But she, she has an excuse. Rivka says, I'm tired, I'm sorry, I'm tired, I'm three years old, I'm little, uh, you're big, you have employees, here's some water, go, you know what, take whatever you want for free. Like what? Then she wouldn't be the mother of Amisad. We have no right to be lazy. We have no right to be tired. We have no right to skip on such opportunities. If Hashem put a lecture in front of you, that gave you chizuk, you best know it, that that chizuk must be shared. Must be shared. He didn't put it in your life just for you to be selfish. He put it in your life for you to share it. Social media was created in order for Am Yisrael to do tshuva. In order for the chasdeh umot olam to do tshuva. So instead of, sh- instead of sharing the basketball videos and the other nonsense that's on the internet, at least share some mitzvot. Why? You could literally save yourself and thousands of people by simply pressing share. Instead of, instead of, instead of buying that extra candy bar that you don't really need because we only need to lose weight, that extra $2, you can buy two CDs. Give it to somebody in the community. Little things that if you do, if you, if you, I know nobody has any money, by the way. Anyone that wants to do Kiruv is always poor. That's the point, Rabotai. Hashem wants to see how much you want it. The Zohar Kadosh says, if a person knew what it means 
to help people do tshuva, he chased them in the middle of the street for 70 years, meaning he wouldn't do anything else. Nothing else. He would have no time for anything else. All he would do is chase people and do tshuva. Why? Because he understands how much it's worth to get one person to do tshuva. Nobody has any money. Everybody has problems. Everybody suffers. Everybody has kapat avarot. That's the point. That's the point. Everyone can do kiruv. Everyone can contribute to somewhere or another. And everyone that doesn't, is going to have to pay for it. You go up to Shemayim, Hashem says, look, I connected you with 500 people. I connected you with 50 people. I connected you with 5,000 people. All these different things, at work, in, in, at home, in the neighborhood, in shul, in the community, you were this, you were that. All these people, why didn't, you, why didn't you share stuff with them? Oh no, I did it one time. Okay, what about the other million and a half times you saw them? What about the other million and a half times you saw them? How come only one time? So a person needs to, needs to understand these are all possibilities that Hashem is giving us to get Amisa to come back to Hashem. Exactly. 30 years ago was a lot more difficult. A lot more difficult. You had to do a, the, the, the Kiruv opportunities were huge back then, but they were much more difficult to do it. That's why the uh, reward is so big, but also the punishment is so big because it was so easy. It's so easy. You show up to Shamaim. With only you and your family as as balet tshuva, okay, good for you. Asherchem that you you did tshuva, but when you see what you missed out on, for all the time you all the things you didn't do, all the money you didn't invest, all the effort you didn't invest, all the things you didn't do, you're gonna cry in Ganeden. You're gonna cry. Why? Because you're gonna see the other Ganedans you could have gotten. And the difference between one Ganeden and another one is worlds apart. Oh, what, what's the point of the safe to, to, to stop doing, to, you know, uh, so we talked about rebuke last week, and uh, if a person is uh, offering another person rebuke, either by telling them, listen, stop driving on Shabbat directly, or they're sending him lectures. The Rambam, and he says, you have to, and also in Chodeot, is that you have to rebuke a person all the way to the extent of when he beats you up, when he hits you. Some say he only needs to threaten you. Only needs to threaten that he's going to beat you up. He says, I'm going to beat you up if you do it, and I'm not going to listen anyway. Some say that's enough. Others say, La Rambam himself says, until he actually does something. Because a lot of people talk a lot. The point is that we are not even close to it. Most people, even if they don't like your stuff, they're not, they're not crazy. They're not going to do such a thing. But the point being is that a person needs to be clever, he needs to be smart, and he needs to do things in a way where he has to empathize, he has to see things from that other person's perspective. So it's very hard to hear rebuke directly. Like if I know that several times that I had Talmidim that became haters, they, uh, Hashem, they came to me, Paro, we tried making them Moshe Rabbeinu, but in the end they ended up being Korach. Why? Why? They did Shuvah, everything was good. Because, look, for a year, two years, whatever it was that we're learning together, I was giving general rebuke in, in, the, in the lecture. I was giving general rebuke in the lecture. Shabbat, Tarat Mishpacha, Kosher, Wasting Seed, and so on and so forth. So they would listen to it as part of the group. Like you guys, they would listen as part of the group. They're watching online as part of the group. Little by little, they stop making sins. Little by little, they add more mitzvot. Little by little, they do tshuva. Now as they do tshuva... 
Now, obviously, the standards get higher. The standards get higher. A guy that's, uh, you know, that's a, uh, walking around naked, all you got to do is put a uh, robe on him and you're fine. You're fine. But a guy that's wearing clothes and he's, he's, he's surrounded by other kings and, and, and princes and, and, and things, you say, listen, you can't walk around with a robe anymore. You got to put a nice suit on, at least a dress shirt. You got to look presentable. You're a king yourself. You're a queen yourself. You can't look like this. So the standards go higher. So now, if I see that such a person making a mistake accidentally, on purpose, whatever it is, if they're talking in the middle of the uh, Knesset, or even in the middle of a shiur, or they're playing with their phone, or they yell at their wife, and their wife cries to me, and he tells me my, my husband is an animal still, or, or, or things like that. So I tell them, I tell them, that's my job, to tell them, and say, it's not exactly uh, the, uh, you know, it's, that's the job that no one else wants, it's, uh, it's a thankless job, but that's what you do. And unfortunately, many times, many times, that was the straw that broke the camel's back where several of those people that were with me for a year, two years, or however long it was, did tshuva little by little, the second I gave them a direct rebuke, all of a sudden, they turned and they became korach. They became, you know, that's it. They became enemies. Why? They did not want to hear rebuke directly. But the reality is that I'm obligated to do it. The reality is you are not doing full tshuva until you're able and are even welcoming direct rebuke. A person that hates rebuke, Shlomo Melech says he's considered dead. Why? There's no way in the world he's ever going to do real tshuva until he gets direct rebuke, until he likes it. Tell somebody, listen, somebody tells you, listen, by the way, Chazaku Baruch you came to Beknesset, but uh, if you're going to continue talking in Beknesset, it's better off you don't come. Better off you don't come. If you're going to talk in Beknesset, it's better off you don't come. And you took offense to it, you haven't done tshuva yet. You did some tshuva for other things, but tshuva, tshuva, you haven't done yet. So a person that rejects it and hates it and, and takes offense to it and things like that, all of us hate it, by the way. It's, not, it's, no, it's no exception. Everybody hates it, but in reality, we have to develop a likeness to it. Why? Because you have to think about deeper part, a deeper part of tshuva in order for us to become tzadikim, in order for us to become tzadikot, in order for us to become shlemim, complete in, in the serving of Hashem, we have to welcome this. And unfortunately, some people hated it so much, they couldn't take it anymore, they couldn't, uh, they stopped coming to classes, in some cases even became enemies, start saying bad things about us, Rashonara, got other people to stop coming to the shurim. And this, unfortunately, has happened more than a few times. Unfortunately, this is part of the tikkun of doing kiruv with people. Uh, and uh, they, people like to do what's comfortable, and then eventually they want to go on park, on neutral. You know, they, as, soon as, they, as soon as they got to, they keep Shabbat, they keep some mitzvot, they learn a little bit here and there. Okay, that's, I'm, I'm good where I'm at. I'm good where I'm at. They think that you're able to stay good where you're at. There's no such thing. A Jew is either growing spiritually or he's shrinking. So what do you do in such a case to answer your question more directly? A person needs to be creative. So first and foremost you should offer people general rebuke by sending them the rebuke through me or through Rav Mizrahi, or if there is another person uh, that uh, actually gives real serious Shulet Torah, there's a few others in the world. In Hebrew, there's much more than English. Uh, and you send them the shiur about the topic, without telling them it's about the topic that you, they need to do tshuva on. You share the shiur with them, you give them the CD, and so on. 
if you see something that they're doing directly and you have a relationship with them, you could offer, you could say something, see, see if this person is welcoming it or is hating it. If you see that this person is, hates it so much that he's almost like literally going in reverse, then you have to take a step back. You have to take a step back and you have to go back to give him the general rebuke, meaning giving the rebuke as uh, behind, you know, behind, like with the, through the back door by giving him the CD and the lecture and so on. How long? How long do you do it? He keeps telling you, listen, I don't want to listen anymore. I don't like rabbis. I hate rabbis. I hate this. I don't want to listen. I don't want to listen. I don't want to listen. Wait, Tom, what'd you say? Oh, you didn't like it? Okay. Next time you send it a week later, you send it again. No, I don't want to listen. Oh, I, I sent it to a bunch of people. You are on the list. Meaning, you keep sending, you keep sending, you keep sending. Even if you know he's not going to listen, you send. A person needs to know he's constantly planting seeds. You plant seeds, you plant seeds, you plant seeds, you plant seeds. Maybe one day something's going to grow out of it. Now, I'll tell you a story that I actually heard from Rav Nisimi again. It says that Hashem, He takes the mitzvot, takes the mitzvot, and He plants them. He plants them as seeds. Why does he take the mitzvot, the chesed that a person does, and he plants it? Why Why does he plant it? So there was a certain rav, a mezakeh rabim, a person that does kiruv in Israel, maybe 30 years ago. And uh, he says uh, he would go from place to place to get people to, uh, to do tshuva, tell them uh, the truth, and so on and so forth. At one time, he went to this place, and uh, the guy that was the uh, the gabai of the place says, well, "Who are you? Where are you from? Where is it? Like twenty questions, CIA. I just want to come and pray. Maybe say divrei Torah. No, no divrei Torah. No divrei Torah. Okay, no divrei Torah. The Knesset, after all, it's not a church. Okay, no divrei Torah." Okay, they're praying Mincha. Now there's a break between Mincha and Arvit. Usually it's a 5, 10, 15 minute break. Somebody says Divrei Torah during this time. The rabbi that came saw no one saying anything. And now he's still here. because can I say a few things? So this guy, this Gabai, his name was Jacques. Jacques, French guy, Jacques. Jacques says, okay, quickly. But don't ask for any money. Okay, no money. Asking for money. I don't. I hate money. I don't want money. I'll give you money. Leave me alone with money. So people are listening, and he gives the shoe. He gives a little fifteen-minute chizuk about how Hashem takes. Sometimes he takes the chesed that we do, the mitzvot that we do, some big act that we do. He doesn't pay us for it. He takes it and he plants it. He says, why does Hashem take it? Why does Hashem take this, this chesed, this mitzvah, and plant it? He says, because one day, that person is going to need it. And Hashem wants to pay him the reward when he needs it, not when he wants it. When he needs it, he's going to pay him back. When he wants it, it's not always, oh, right now, he just did a mitzvah, he just don't...
pay two, three, four, five, six million dollars for uh, Bezat Hashem, and he wants reward right now. Hashem doesn't pay him right now. Doesn't pay him right now. He's like, oh, look, no, you said Kiruv is good, Kiruv is good, nothing changed. All I have, I'm short another uh, few million. Uh, what happened? No reward. David Melech tells us in Tehilim that Hashem took that mitzvah, took that chesed, and He planted it. He planted it for it eventually to grow when you need it. Because one day you're going to need it to save your life. After he finished this Dvar Torah, Jacques, Jacques says, your whole shiur, it's about me. Jacques says, your whole shiur is about me. He says this, this, this plant, this seed he planted, can save the reshaim, can save the, the, the wicked people. Hashem takes the mitzvah of the wicked person, he doesn't pay them. Until later. He goes, that's me. So everybody, he's crying, the guy. Jacques is crying. Jacques, the, the gibor, the hero, is crying like a little girl. What's going on? This is me. He says, long time ago, I was a uh, a barber, or a, a salon, hairdresser. Hairdresser. Shem Worst job in the world for a Jew. To be a hairdresser for women. All you do is touching people that you're not allowed to touch. Every single second that you're alive is a sin. And of course, they work on Shabbat very often. Shem what a gain gainom all these hairdressers are going to have when they're there. Oh no, I did mitzvah, I helped to look good for a wedding. Yeah, yeah, she'll be in gainom right next to you. So, a Jew must understand if she's not your wife, you're not allowed to touch her. You're not allowed to touch her unless it's saving her life, if you're a doctor. And there's no choice of female doctors. Or at least there's no female doctor as good as the male doctors, which Baruch Hashem in today's world, there's plenty of good female doctors. But if there's no choice, or at least the female doctor is not as good as the male doctor, then you're allowed to go to best for medicine. But for hairdressing, there's no there's no leniency. It's not life risk. Anyway, she's not supposed to show her hair to the world. So what's the... Anyway, a Jew must understand he's never allowed to be a hairdresser for women. You want to cut hair for guys? Fine, no problem. You want to uh, make a living doing that? No problem. You're not allowed to work on Shabbat. But uh, if uh, also you have to make sure that if the person is a Jew, you're not shaving his head like a goy, not shaving the peot, a lot of these young kids, you see them starting to do tshuva, and they're already doing tshuva for two, three years. They come to Beknesset, late tefillin. Sometimes they come to shiur, but they have uh, the haircut of Avodah on their head. They shave their head like a mohawk, or they shave all the way like a zero or one around them. It's not allowed. This is this is a this is a goyim walk like this. This Avodah Avodah not allowed. But no one tells them why. Everybody's afraid. Everybody's afraid. Tell them, listen. Instead of zero. Instead of one, instead of one and a half, do two. Yeah, but it's not as fresh. Okay, but it's, uh, it's, it's much fresher than Gainum, though. Would you rather be fresh here or uh, fresh in Ganeidin? Which one you want? Fresh here, but uh, not so fresh in Gainum, or what, what do you want? It's fresh fire in Gainum. Small, small, tiny mitzvah. It's an opportunity. You see a person walk around with such a haircut, you have to tell him. Why? He doesn't know. He's scared. He doesn't know. The rabbi's not going to tell him. He's scared of him, the rabbi. 
So anyway, Jacques was a hairdresser, a very good one in France. One day, a very rich woman, non-Jewish woman, walks into the uh, salon. And, uh, you know, they chit-chat, they talk, ha-ha-ha, hoo-hoo-hoo, ha, ha, all that stuff. And uh, after, she doesn't want to leave. The woman, nice, modest woman, she doesn't want to leave the hair. She goes, Jacques, yeah, I want to marry you. What? We'll marry you. Marry me. I'm not a one. I want a wife. I don't want a wife. Plus, you're not Jewish. I'm a Jew. I'm not religious, but I'm a Jew. Stuff for me. No, thank you. No, no interested. No interested. She goes, Jack, I'm very rich. I'm very this. I'm very this. I have a lot of money. I don't need your money. I don't need anything from you. I just want to be Jewish. And I know that the easiest way for me to be a Jew is if I marry a Jew. If the Bed Dean sees that I'm marrying to a Jew, they're going to help me out and speed up the process, at least in those days, speed up the process and help me become a Jew in a relatively quick time, not make me wait 20 years. Not make me wait five years until I'm bleeding from my eyes. You know, within Bezat Hashem, a year, two years, three years, if they see I'm, I'm really serious, I can become a Jew because I'm married to one. In essence, they're going to save you, but really, I, I really want to do it. But I promise you, if you let me, if you marry me, you let me be a Jew, you're never going to have to work. Pay anything you want. Oh, I have money. Jacques is thinking, eh, you know what? Every day I'm here, hair, hairdress, hairdresser, best day, make three, four, five hundred dollars, break my head, I have to talk to all these people. What do I need this for? This woman has a bunch of money. I can just hang out at the house all day. What do I need this for? I can I open my own salon, open this. I say, you know what? You got it. Deal. Deal, I'll marry you. But there's one condition. Don't ever talk to me about religion. Jacques tells her, don't, there's one condition. Don't ever talk to me about becoming religious. Never. She says, Jacques, deal. You let me do my thing. You let me keep mitzvot. You let me talat mishpacha. I'll do the thing. You, you don't want to do it. It's your problem. I won't tell you anything. That's the deal. Okay, seven. Jacques opens his nice salon. Everything is good. He's relaxed. He's good. Now, he doesn't need to open. Close the salon. Now he's, uh, <laughs> he has money. He's, he's, he's retired. Retired. 30 years old, retired. His wife, his new wife, Mamash was tzedek it Was ger tzedek. She converts. Kisui rosh. Modesty completely. Tehilim with tears every day. Tarat mishpacha. Kosher knows all the halachot like she's a kalulu mini rambam. Nice, everything is good. Shukhan Shabbat already ready in, on Friday morning. Wow. Jacques Miskin still a goy. Still Mechalel Shabbat, still nothing. Doesn't keep anything. So, one day, the wife, after a while, you know, she hurts her to see Jacques, the Jew, act like a goy. And the convert... Is a Kodesh Kodeshim. It doesn't make any sense. She says, Jacques, honey, I love you. I got you a present. Oh, presents are good. What did you give him? She goes, here, nice scent, set of tefillin. Meudarot from Yerushalayim, $5,000. Wow. 
Chuck says, what? What is this? Because tefillin. What tefillin? Because didn't I tell you don't talk to me about religion? Didn't I tell you don't talk about religion? He starts yelling at her. Didn't I tell you don't talk about religion? Ah, it becomes an animal. Without Torah, a person is not human. Now the poor lady, she thought she did a mitzvah, bojak, nice pair of tefillin, few thousand, nice, meudarot, maybe get him to go to Beknesset, maybe keep Shabbat, something, this donkey doesn't know what he, what he sees. More time passes, more time passes. She sees, you know, Jacques is not using the tefillin. She goes, Jacques, honey, I love you, the best, I love you, thank you. His coffee, his drink, his day, his this, is that. Why don't you use the feeling that I bought you? Why don't you use the feeling that I bought you? Jacques, the beast, takes the feeling, takes the feeling, the bag of feeling, opens the window and throws us from the third story. Throws the feeling, throws the feeling out of the window. Throws the feeling out of the window. Didn't I tell you not to tell me about uh, Torah, Mitzvah? I told you! Why? Hashem opened the mouth of a donkey named Jacques. Jacques runs out of the house. Miskena, the wife is crying. She looks out the window. She sees Jacques pass the Tfilin like it's nothing. She runs downstairs to go pick up the tefillin. Jacques goes on the train to go do his business. As the train stops, he tries getting up, and all of a sudden, he can't get up. All of a sudden, he can't get up. All of a sudden, he can't move. All of a sudden, they have to call 911 to get him to the hospital. Jacques became paralyzed. Emergency room, ER, this, checking, what happened, who, uh, eh? we don't know. Tests, MRI, CAT scans, this scan, that scan, all the scans in the world. We don't know what happened. Miss Scan Jack is paralyzed from the neck down. Neck down! Now the wife, Miss Scan, she, she knows, she's connecting it to, she's Kodesh. She sees clearly, the more Torah you have, the more clear you see. The less Torah you have, everything is shadowy, everything is black, everything is darkness. You see everything the opposite. It's like you thought you saw an image of a person, at the end it's a donkey. Two different things. Why? Because you're seeing things opposite. For one year, for one year, Jacques is sitting in the hospital, she's bringing him nurses, special care, she has money. Nurses, take care of Jacques, take this, hey, whatever, my husband, you got to take care of him. Jacques, he can't move. After a year, this donkey realizes maybe it's time for me to swallow my pride. A year. A year he's in bed without moving. Every day his holy wife comes to the, to the, to, to the sees him. Every day he takes care of him, washes his feet, takes care of him, gives him a little bit to his wife. To a thick and thin. What do you think? It's just when good things are happening. A real wife, a real wife is with you. A real husband is with you. Not just when you look your best, just like when you act your best, or the, the horrible times, that's when you become married. So now, after a year, 
Jacques says to his wife, honey, can you do me a favor? Can you please bring me my tefillin? Can you please bring me my tefillin? She thought she was dreaming. Finally, after all these years of crying every single day, reading Tehillim with tears, Mamash, filling the books have to be exchanged because there's so many tears on them. Every day she's crying for her husband. Every day she's, please, please, Hashem, please help my husband. Please help my husband see the light. Please, Hashem, connect him. Please do me a favor for me, for you, for this, for that. Don't, please. Nothing. Guys, a donkey for years. All of a sudden, yes, for tefillin. Now he can't move, really. Move, maybe he started moving his arm a little bit. He says, give me my tefillin. She brings him the tefillin, like she's carrying the better mikdash on herself. She's so happy. She brings the tefillin. And Jacques puts the tefillin on. Jacques says the story. He says, the next day, all of a sudden, it can move. The doctors, the word, didn't really pay attention. They're like, what's going on? A few hours later, I got out of the bed. I'm okay, I'll see you guys later. See you later. He walked out of the hospital after a year. He's not able to move. They can't diagnose it. And Jacques says, I finally understand why it happened because of your shiuk, Vodarav. I finally understand. He says, before that woman came... Before that woman became my wife, before I became paralyzed, before all of this happened, that morning, that morning, this little Hasidish guy didn't look so healthy, didn't look so wealthy, didn't look so much, came to me, came to my shop. He says, Taka, Taka, I don't know, something was in me, something was in me. It bothered me to see the guy like this. I said, you know what? I opened the cash register. I took everything in. Take. I gave him everything in the cash register. I don't know why. I don't know what got into me. I don't know what got into me. I took everything out of the cash register. I said, hey, take. Not for Staka, for the whole week, for the whole month. Hey, take. Go. I didn't know what, who, what, what. I didn't know the guy. I never saw him again. The Ches said, Hashem counted. When did he pay me? He didn't pay me right away. Why right away? Right away is a woman comes to me. What right away? What happened right away? When did he pay me? After I made such a big sin and I threw it filin out of the window. If I, I bazaar the Torah, I disrespected the Torah, deserve a death penalty for such a thing. After I did all that stuff, I tried doing a little tshuva. Hashem says, ah, now I can pay you for your chesed. Now I can pay you for your chesed, I can heal you, and I can show you I run the world. Jacques did complete tshuva at that moment. Because now he understood why. Life is full of difficulties, Rabbi Life is full of trouble. Life is full of tests. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Use it. The journey of a tzaddik is not so simple. To be Avraham Avinu is not so simple. But that, that's what this Mishnah is trying to tell us. This Mishnah is trying to tell us that it's not supposed to be simple. But it is supposed to be successful. Now every day, you read Mincha. And Mincha gives you the definition of a tzaddik. In Mincha. People think that a tzaddik has to look a certain way. 
maybe pears all the way to the floor. Maybe he's got a beard. Maybe he's got a nice hat. But if it's a certain type of hat, then he has it this way, no. If it's this way, yes. If it's that way, no. You know, all the shtiyot that people have. So, in Mincha, it's one of the, one of the uh, places, tells you, one of the attributes of a tzaddik. In Tachnun, after Amidah, you tell Hashem, Chatanu, Avinu, Pashanu, we made sins that we don't know were sins. We made sins when we knew it sins, but we still did it because of Te'avon. We had the appetite for the sin. Even though she wasn't my wife, I looked at her. Even though it wasn't my money, I helped myself to it. Even though it wasn't this, even though it wasn't that, even though it wasn't a lot, I still did it. Why? I have desires. That's Avinu. Pashanu is, I knew it was a sin. I knew you don't like it, and I did it dafka to make you angry. Hashem Yerachem. This is a spiritually crazy level state of mind. But it's very easy to get if you are an angry person. If you have not worked, if you have a natural inclination to be angry, it's very easy to get to such state of level where you think that you can punish God. Where you lost some money in the stock market or you got into an argument with somebody or something awful happened in your life and you decide to punish God. Like you can punish God by why? By doing something that you know for sure is against Him. Oh, that's how you pay me God? I'm going to the club now. Instead of Bekret, I'm going to the club. Ah, that's what you give me, Hashem? You want me to take my money out of the stock market? You want to give me my wife, give me a headache? You want any kids that this? You want to get it out? Ah, all these, you give me all these things? Ah, I'll give you something back. I'm going to the club now. I'm not going to the Knesset. I'm not learning tonight. I'm not praying today. I want bacon. You want, put some bacon on it. With cheese. Yeah, you're punishing God. You think you're punishing God. That's Pashanu. Pashanu is a problem. Pashanu, wow, what a problem. But anyway, this is a crazy state of mind. And we continue in Tachanun, we say, Ashamnu, Bagadnu, Gazanu, Dibarnu, Dofi, Velashonara. Which one of us didn't steal Lashonara? Which one of us is not guilty of going against Hashem, betraying Hashem, robbing Hashem? You ate something, but you forgot. You forgot. You conveniently forgot to bless it. You conveniently forgot to bless Hashem for giving you. No, no, I don't want to eat bread. Why? Why don't you want to eat bread? No, I don't want to do the Amazon. Oh, so you don't want to say thank you to Hashem? You just want to get this stuff, but you don't want to say thank you? That's what you're saying. If you don't eat bread on purpose because you don't want to say Birkat Amazon, what are you trying to say? You're trying to say, oh Hashem, I want your stuff, I just don't want to tell you thank you. I want your stuff, I like it. I like all your stuff. The food, the steaks, and this. I like all your stuff, thank you, I like it. But I don't want to tell you thank you. What a manuval such a person is. What a despicable person. But we don't know we're despicable. We don't know we're such losers. Why? All we're thinking about is our stomach. All we're thinking about is our desires. So that's why we do tshuva every day. We say tachnun. Some Ashkenazi kilot in America don't say tachnun every day. But uh, in Israel, many of them do. Many of them do. But also tachnun. But konim too. Not all, not all, some and some, some and some. Point is, 
some people that say it, it's better off they didn't say it. They go so fast through the Tachnun, no one knows what they're saying even. They're going so fast through it, it's like, and they're looking at their phone. You just told Hashem you stole from him, you robbed him, you cursed him, you went against him, you, you, you cheated on him, you did and you're looking at your phone at the same time. But if you didn't say it. Somebody came to the Ramban, Ramban, Allah Shalom. He said, for the Rabbi, I, I didn't steal, I didn't do this, I didn't, why do I have to say this Tachnun every day? Why do I have to say this Tachnun? I didn't cheat, I didn't this, I didn't say Lashon I'm all day. The Ramban says to him, he says, what? You didn't do all this? If you actually knew what this means, if you learned any Torah at all, you understood what each one of these words mean, you'd realize not only did you commit all of these sins, but it's a sin that you think you didn't do it. You get punished extra for thinking you didn't do it. But why does some keilot don't say tachnun? Why? Because they say that in an awful generation that we're in right now, people that say tachnun, they don't have kavanah, so it's better off not to do it. You don't have kavanah, you're telling Hashem you cheated on him, but you're doing it while you're cheating on him again. It's like you come tell, you know, you come into Avdi, the, 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 the guy comes to his wife says, Oh, honey, I'm sorry, I cheated on you. And his girlfriend is on his hand. Why well, is hugging his girlfriend? Yeah, I cheated on you with her. Yeah, hey, honey, how you? Yeah, she's cute though, right? Like, what's the matter with you? You go into Hashem, you said you cheated on him. You're a criminal all day, you cheated on him. Why you have the phone in your hand in the Bikneset? Why are you having a Lashonara conversation inside the Bikneset? What's the matter with you? So it says, people don't have kavanah. People have kavanah, better off not to do it. There's a kitrug. There's a kitrug. There's a, there's a case, a case of prosecution against us for not having kavanah when we were supposed to be doing tshuva. But not saying it at all is not fixing it either. That's why the majority of the chachamim say, no, you have to say it anyway. But anyway, after we say all the different things, all the different things that we failed at and we're sorry for, that we failed at this and we failed at this and we gave bad advice and we lied and we're angry and we made fun of things, and we rebelled, and we violated Hashem's words, and Hashem Yachem, what we did to our parents, and how we made them suffer, and uh, we don't even give them any respect, and we don't even call them, and we don't even write them, and we don't even say thank you, and we pretty much treat them like they work for us. And all types of things that we do, Hashem Yachem, and you think about yourself, you really think about all these things you do, Hashem Yachem, what kind of chula we have to do every day. But we're saying, I'm sorry, Hashem. Same sorry. That's a start. But then... You become a tzaddik. Why? Because you, I tell Hashem, I understand what you're doing. Vata Hashem, vata tzaddik al kol abalenu ki emet asita v'nachnershano. And you, Hashem, you're right. You're tzaddik, and all that came upon us. Whether it was problems, whether it was lost money, whether it was health crisis, whether it was a headache, whether it was a this ache or that ache or that. All of what you did, you are tzaddik. You're right with everything you put upon us. You acted truthfully. And we have been wicked. You're supposed to say this every single day, twice a day. And then actually it's part of also of Shema Lamita. Supposed to say, at the very least, one, every day is supposed to say at least once, real tachanun. But what's the point? What do we learn here, Rabbi 
to be a tzaddik, to be a tzaddik, to be a tzaddiket. It's not just reading Tehilim all day, 900 times, you read the whole Tehilim, Chazak, Baruch, wow, but you're still walking around immodest. Read Tehilim till you're bleeding from your eyes, it's not going to help you if you're immodest. Oh, you learn this, you learn this, you learn this, all the learning, all the, you went to Yeshiva, you went to Kola, you went to Shio, you went to this, you went to that, but as soon as you start talking, it's like a donkey. What are you talking about? You're complaining against Hashem. Ah, you know, Hashem, He gives me all these problems. You know, I don't have any money. You know, my portfolio is down this week. Oh, you know, my wife is this. You know, my husband. All day with Lashon against Hashem. All day Lashon against Hashem. That means that when you said Tachnun, you're a liar. You're Navi Shekel. You're Navi Shekel. You're a false prophet. What you're saying is true in the beginning. What you're saying is true. Chatanu, avinu, pashanu. You're right. You're right. You're right. What you're saying is true. You did. You, you are a loser. And you did sin. Hashem loves you. He's giving you opportunity to do tshuva. So it's good. You give good, good prophecy. But then you're Navi Shekel. You're a false prophet. Why? Because you're saying, You're righteous, you're everything you did is truthful, and uh, we we wicked. You don't believe that. You're a liar. Why? Because you're complaining against Hashem. You don't believe it. You're saying, you're saying this, but you don't really believe it. It's like at the end of Amidah, if you notice, at the end of Amidah, something beautiful. At the end of Amidah, what do you say at the end of Amidah? After Sim Shalom Vetovah, after you do all the blessings and everything, oh wow, Hashem, grant peace and goodness and blessing and graciousness and kindness and mercy and do, 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 do. all the wonderful things. And he's saying to Hashem, if this finds favor, if all these words, like you're talking like Moshe Rabbeinu now, if I find favor in your eyes, and why? My God, guard my tongue. Help me do tshuva. My lips from speaking deceitfully. And those who curse me, let their soul be si- let my soul be silent. Meaning, um, let me not react to them. Let me not react to them. Like the Rashid Chochma says that a person that wants to become chavruta with Hashem mitbarach, people insult you. You won't have to learn. You won't have to learn from Bnei Adam anymore. Why? Hashem becomes your chavuta. Hashem becomes your chavuta. Who is this? Who is this being? Uh, where, where did Rashid Chokmah get this? He got this from one of the biggest mekubalim in the previous generation to him. I believe it was from Italy, based on his name. Based on his name, I believe it was from Italy. Arav Dikitilia. I'm pronouncing it right. Kvodo. I said it to you guys. It's in Rashid Chuchma in Share Anava. Share Anava. A person, a person wants to get to such a high level, such a high level of uh, of tshuva. Uh, of he should listen. To Arab Digitilia, why? Because if you are the one that's embarrassed and not the embarrasser, 
you are the one that people are saying Lashon Ara about, but you don't say Lashon Ara. You hold yourself, you contain yourself, and you still walk around with a smile, knowing that it's coming from Hashem Itbarach, knowing that it's all good. Hashem says, I'll become your Chavuta. Why? No human being can teach you. You're already at a high level. You're already at a high level. So, of course, can't find it now. Oh, in it. Ken, Arab Yosef, Gikatilia, Gikatilia. Arab Yosef, Gikatilia, one of the, one of the uh, Mekubalim, maybe six, seven hundred years ago. Seven hundred years ago. Seven hundred years ago, says something extraordinary. We'll talk about it more a little later on. But here we see, in Amidah, at the end of Amidah, three times a day, you say, Loai, Protect my tongue, protect this, this, all the people that curse me, let me be silent, I want to be like the, the Rabbi Yosef said. And then you say something. What you Let my soul be like dust to everybody. What does it mean, be like dust to everybody? Let them walk on top of me. Let them, uh, no problem, nothing. I'm nothing. I'm like Avam Avinu. I'm a tzaddik. But as soon as somebody bumps into you, it's like, hey, hey. Relax. I'm praying here. What do you think? I'm joking. What do you think? Uh, check yourself. I'm praying here. Don't touch me. What do you mean? You just said you're afal. You said you're dust. You said people walk on top of you. Soon as somebody, your wife says something, hey, watch yourself. I'm afal. I'm afal. I'm afal. What afal? You said you could talk. But everybody has to talk to you. See, you don't really, you're a Navi Shekin. You're prophet, but false prophet. We're prophets, but we're false prophets. Arabi again, Allah Shalom says. We're prophets, but we're false prophets. Because we say things, but we're still supposed to say it. Why? Because if a person continues to do, continues to do and delve into things, eventually, he starts without really the right intentions in mind. Eventually, he will end up with the right intentions. So now this Mishnah in Avot that we started already last week, we started, we went with part two yesterday and part three today. Now that we finished the introduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mishnah in Avot, we went over already, who is Avraham Avinu? We went over in, uh, into Bilam a little bit. We went over into the traits of Avraham Avinu, the Nefesh Fala, the Ruach Nemucha, the Ain Tova, having a generous personality, not being one of these people that takes, takes, takes. Some people are just leeches. All they want is they want to take. They don't want to give anything. You know, some people like that in the world. Don't be like that. There's some people, he says, you want to be a Talmud of Abraham Avinu, you have to be opposite. You have to be Ayn Tova. You have to be generous with yourself, generous with your words, generous with your money, generous with everything. You see people succeed, say, good. Hazaku good for him. Good for him. You hear somebody just, God said, say, good for him, good. Be happy, be genuinely happy that people are succeeding. Don't be a hater. Don't be a hater. It's a self-inflicted wound. Don't be a hater. Don't be, it's a cancer. Next thing is, be humble. Be a humble spirit. Don't be one of these people that thinks to yourself. Some people walk around, they're so egotistical. They don't think of themselves as egotistical. They're so egotistical, they walk around with their, they walk around with their chest stuck out. Do you ever see that? Do you ever see people like this? They walk around, almost physically. Like, their spiritual state of mind has actually influenced their physical state of mind. They walk around like this. They walk around with their chest stuck out. 
very dangerous. Why? This person, and Adam a person does not even see an obligation himself. person walks around like this, he thinks, what? That's how I stand. That's how I walk around. It's not, it's not a normal way to walk around. It's not a way to walk. It's not a normal way to walk around. So what do I do? I change myself? Yes. You're not a donkey. You can change. Nefesh fela. A person needs to be a nefesh fela. Needs to be able to overcome his desires, his physical desires, his desires for all types of physical things, sex, sex, and things of that nature. But as well as his addiction to luxury. Addiction to physicality, where if uh, your wife didn't make you the perfect steak with the perfect seasoning, it's like, no, no, I'm not eating it. I'm not, if if the perfect seasoning is not me, oh, no, it's not, it's not good for me. Can we just order pizza? Wait a minute, she just slaved for a half hour, an hour, two hours to cook for you. And because there's not enough salt, there's not enough this, you're going to, like, mama, don't you realize what you're doing right now? Don't you realize you're just taking her neshama and you're ripping it apart? Don't you know? How many stories do we have about the Chachamim where in one case, I believe it was the Rav Moshe Feinstein, the Rav Shalom, after his wife died, I may be wrong about the name, but the story is real. The students knew that he liked to eat his food burnt. Like he liked it, uh, you know, some people like it done. Some people like it well done. Some people like it burnt. He liked it burnt. So after his wife passed, they would, uh, they made food for him and they uh, brought it. But one of the guys didn't make it really, really burnt. He made it like uh, well done. But when he served it to the rabbi, he goes, oh, I'm sorry, rabbi, uh, you wanted more well done? He goes, no, no, I actually like it also done. It doesn't have to be well done or burnt. Oh, really, for the rab? Oh, we thought you liked food burnt. He goes, no, actually, I don't like food burnt. He goes, what do you mean? You're married to your wife for uh, 70 years. All she served you, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, was burnt food. She sent you coals. Hey, breakfast, coals. Here's uh, lunch, coal. Here's uh, dinner, more coal. Cold. When you put in barbecue, instead of the meat that's on top of the barbecue, they give you the coal that they eat. Well, what happened here? That's what we thought. Everybody knew. It was like, wow, psh, kind of interesting taste buds. I don't know, maybe he doesn't want to enjoy this world. Who knows? Because no. The Rav says, the Rav says, where are we? Where are we? The Rav says, he says, when I first, when I first met my wife, she was so excited. I was so excited. You know, married, first time. It is Baruch Hashem, not the fifth married, but the, the, the celebrities. They Every two weeks they get married. It's like, a, uh, you know, somewhere it's a Baal Torah has a Chidush every day. Someone that's a Baal Avera has a new wife, a new husband every day. So, we're so excited in this. But still, we're young, young, little kids, you know, young. We, we, we know. So anyway, so my wife... She was so excited making me dinner for the first time that she overcooked it. She overcooked it. Now I said, if I tell her right now that I don't like it, it's like me taking the neshama of the holiest woman on planet earth, the queen, 
the daughter of a shemit barach. It's not the daughter of some farmer that that who knows who he is and what he is. And it's not it's not it's not a calf. It's not a puppy. It's not a dolphin. Maybe you're gonna save him so he doesn't go on the extinction list. No, no. This rabotai. This is a daughter of a shem. Daughter of a shem. A Jew needs to understand his wife is a daughter of the king of kings. The wife needs to understand her, son, her husband is the son of the king of kings. That's why you're supposed to stand up when you walk into the room. A husband comes home, he has to stand up. A husband, The wife has to stand up, not be on the phone. Not be on the phone wasting time with her girlfriend. Husband comes home, doesn't make a difference. Tamit chacham, no tamit chacham. She has to get up. But anyway, the Rav says, he was burnt. But if I tell her, I don't like it because it's burnt. It's like taking the neshama of the daughter of the king of kings and ripping it into pieces. Like I just put it to a shredder. He goes, what am I, crazy? There's something wrong with me to do such a thing. Imagine, you go to the king of kings, yeah, your daughter, ah. What? What's the king of kings going to do to me? He's going to hang me. First, put me on a headline. Eh, the fiancé, is not fiancé anymore. He's a... Uh, it's a fish, a filet mignon, not fiancé. Where is he? Just embarrassed the daughter of the king of kings. What's the matter with you? I but my wife, she saw it. She was so embarrassed. She saw burnt food. No, actually, I was embarrassed to tell you. This is what I like. I like burnt foods. I like burnt food. Now it says, You're supposed to stay away from lies. Should really? She says, yes, actually, I want to make sure. Only cook it like this to me. The more burnt, the better. <laughs> for the next 70 years, for the next 70 years, Rabotai, all he ate was burnt food. All he ate was burnt food. We're not even able to eat food if it doesn't have enough salt. He ate burnt food. Why? For Kvod Hashem and his daughter. For Kvod Hashem and his daughter. He's eating burnt food. Why? Chash I offend her. Well, you could tell her, listen, I don't really like it. That's what we're thinking right now. I could tell her, I don't really like it. But uh, it's good, but I like it better that way. That's what we're thinking. We're thinking of getting out of this. That's what we're not tzaddikim. But this Rabotan, do you understand? Why? Why was he able to do this? Why was, this is not the only story. There's many stories like this. Why was, why, why did Sadiqim able to do such a thing? Why? Because they understood what it means to be the son or the daughter of God. They understood what it means to be the son and daughter of God. To go and offend the son or daughter of God, eh, I mean, it's, a, it's suicidal. So when a person is a nefesh fela, when a person wants to be a talmid of Avraham Avinu, he says, this is a way to be a talmid. How? Limit my intake of this world, of this physicality. If things are not so perfect, don't be the first one to complain. Don't be a complainer. Don't be a nudnik. Everything has to be perfect. Take other people into account. Take other people into account. Is it really worth the complaint? Is it really worth embarrassing this and embarrassing that? Is it really worth it? 
Can you just fix it on your own? Can you just take it? You know, you have to think about this. Why? Because in reality, this world is this world is only a corridor. It's only a temporary stop. It's only a temporary stop. It's not something you're gonna be. You're not gonna be here forever. You're not gonna be here forever. Might as well use it to its best, to the best you can. So. Having such a nefesh filah, Rabotai, helps a person when it's time for him to get his answer, to get his prayers answered. Rav Shalom Belz was once by his mentor, the, 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 the Jose of Lublin. He went to visit him. And the Jose of Lublin tell him, hey, you know what, go go to the back. Go to the back of the, uh, the kolel, sit over there, and uh, I'll call you. I'll call you when, uh, when I need you. And he knew that the, 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 the Rav is not just sending him over there to the back of the kolel for no reason. It has to be a reason. It has to be a reason. He realized that he's sending him over there because, of course, there's a message, there's a something, there's a lesson, there's something here. He's not going to send me, just send me to the back. To waste time. So now, have a seat. So now he sits in the back. He sits in the back, and he sees he's sitting in the back. And there's a few guys over there that came to to visit the rav, and uh, they're just complaining. They're complaining about the rabbi. Oh, I can't believe it! I traveled so far, and I came. I got the bracha, but I don't really feel like it's working. What am I going to do? I came, sat for a shiur for two hours. I don't know, kind of like, I don't know, it didn't really like hit home. Like I liked a few things he said, but no, I really want to say this. I really want to say that. And really, you know, I'm still having problems. And they start complaining about the rabbi. Why are they complaining about the rabbi? Because they have problems, they have problems in their life, and they were very hopeful that the rabbi was going to solve them. So now that they feel like the rabbi didn't solve them, they became desperate. They started to lose hope. Their big hope was for the rabbi to solve the problems. But now they feel like the rabbi, I don't know, he sent them to the back. What did he do? Nothing. Like he didn't do anything. Like I thought the rabbi didn't say, Hocus pocus, all your problems are gone. Misha Barach, okay, okay all, your, all your debt, just transfer to uh, your haters account. Like well, what? What do they think they're going to do? He's like, ah, oh, you didn't solve my problems, what am I going to do? So Rav Shalom of Bez says, at that moment when they started losing hope and they started crying to each other and, 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 and mamash mourning over their own problems, I knew what the Chosemi, the Chose did, the Chosemi Lublin did. He sent me over there to give them chizuk. He sent me to the back to go wait, to go listen to them and give them chizuk. But why, why didn't he just tell me later on, listen, those two guys, go talk to them. Why? Because he wanted me to sit there. And he wanted me to not know that we're connected. We wanted them to know we're not connected. So there's no, no one thinks of anything. So they're going to continue operating or doing whatever they're doing. And he wanted them to lose hope. He wanted them to lose hope. He wanted them to become broken hearted. Why? Because sometimes that's the only thing you got. 
Sometimes it's the only thing that's going to help you. When all of the gates of heaven are closed, the gates of broken hearts are always opened. But sometimes our hearts are stone. And we don't want them to break. We don't let them break. We're too prideful for break. Me? No way. I'm not, I don't cry. I'm a guy. I'm a man's man. I don't cry. Okay. Don't cry. And stay with problems. Don't cry to Hashem Bach. Stay with your problems. Your kids are failing in school. Don't, don't fail. Your wife hates you. She'll continue hating you. You have no money. You'll stay broke. It'll get worse. Why? Hashem wants you to cry. Hashem wants you to cry. He wants you to open up and cry. When people would come to the Bet HaMikdash, one of the amazing things, one of the miracles that would happen at the Bet HaMikdash is they would hear the Leviim sing. A lot of people sing. But the Leviim, when they sung, it would break the heart of every single person that made a sin and do tshuva. Just from their beautiful voice. Just from the beautiful voice that Hashem gave them, gifted them a special voice, unfound in this world. Literally, they're singing to Hashem, praising Hashem. A person comes to the Bet HaMikdash to, uh, with a cow for $15,000, thinking, oh, I'm finished. He comes over there, he hears the Levim sing, he starts hysterical crying. Starts doing tshuva. Meaning Hashem wants us to cry. Hashem wants us not to be crybabies, but He wants us to cry to Him. Sometimes he's going to put us in a situation where he literally puts us in desperation. Because that's the only thing that can help us. We don't have merits anywhere else. All the other gates are closed. Why? We didn't do enough here. We didn't do enough here. We didn't pay the bill here. We didn't pay the bill there. We didn't... All the other gates, according to his just world, are, are closed. There's only one gate left. There's only one gate. Which gate? Tears, broken hearts. The broken heart of a Jew is answered. So Rav Shalom Ibel says, I knew that the Chosemi Lublin, the Chosemi Lublin put me in a situation to see it. Why? Because he wanted to give me an opportunity to be the Chizuk. He wanted me to be the opportunity to be Ayn Tova, to be Ayn Tova, to be generous with words, to give them Chizuk. You know what the value is to give a Jew Chizuk? He has difficulties, he has problems in his marriage. He has problems with his job. He has problems with his life. He has problems, real problems. I'm not talking about complainers. A lot of people like to complain for no reason. I'm talking about real serious problems. He has no right. He doesn't know left. He doesn't know what to do. And he, Hashem gives you an opportunity. Oh, I'm going to send him to you. Now, if you say, oh, I'm busy. Number one, that means you don't understand the value of a Jew. Number one, it means you say to another Jew, I'm busy. And you're really not busy. If you're really busy, it's a different story. You're really busy, but you're really interested in helping this person. Like, listen, do me a favor. Wait a few seconds. Let me see if I can make time. Or come back in a few minutes. Or you would make an effort to help this person. You're not going to say, I'm busy, go somewhere else. But the reality is a person gives you an opportunity. Hashem gives you an opportunity to give somebody chizuk. This is an opportunity to exercise one of the midot of Avraham Avinu. Da'in tova. Da'in Tova, being generous with words, give, being the person that's going to give him strength to keep going. Go, stay strong, don't give up. We need you. We? How do you need me? 
Am Yisrael needs you. I'm part of Am Yisrael. I'm your brother. I'm your sister. I need you. I need you to be strong. Your family needs you to be strong. Everybody needs you to be strong. Keep going strong. Don't give up. Look, always have a story in your mind. Look, there's a story of this guy had a difficulty and so on and so forth. But everything turned out okay. If you also remember yourself, you remember two, three, four, five years ago, you had a difficulty, you know how you're going to get out of this cave, but Hashem got you out and everything's okay. You remind them of the things that happened to you, happened to him, happened to other people. You give him chizuk, you give her chizuk to keep going. This is a midah of Abraham Avinu. This is a character trait of Abraham Avinu. But if you're a complainer, if you're so busy wallowing in your own misery, the guy comes to you complaining, what do you do? You commiserate. Ah, you think you're bad. Let me tell you what's really bad. Why, your wife yelled at you? My wife stabbed me. Why, your kids are failing in school? My kids shot up. Remember that shooting you saw on the news? Yeah, yeah, my kids uh, were shooting. Like you start commiserating with the guy. He has a problem, you're topping it off. You know, some people, they compete with problems. You tell them you have a problem, you tell them, no, no, they want to top you off. Why? There's no way somebody has more problems than me. Oh, yeah, you, uh, what, you, you, you have a headache? Yeah, pfft, no kind of headache I have right now. Why, you look normal. Yeah, it's, I'm holding it in. But I have a headache, I have a headache, even Hashem himself is saying, you know what, maybe too much. <laughs> you always have to top it off. You always have to top it off. Why? You're so egotistical, you're so selfish, you're so self-centered, you can't see anyone else. You're, the only, you're on your own island. Somebody comes to you with a problem, it's like you feel like they're interfering. You're interfering. No, no, no. Complaining is my field. Oh, no, no, no. I have bigger problems than you. What do you mean? I'm homeless. Yeah, I'm about to be homeless. Imagine. And you start telling the homeless guy how it's worse to be almost homeless. Self-centered. Self-centered. No, have, don't have an eye tova. This is a midah. This is a midah of Bilam. This is a midah of Bilam. And that's why the Mishnah continues, sees the opposite, the opposite. Ein ra, ruach gvoa, nefesh rechava, de talmidav shel Bilam arasha. Bilam arasha, imagine being like Bilam, someone in the Torah, someone in the world, is called the name Rasha. Imagine being such a person. Imagine, okay, so you know, oh yeah, you know, Betzalel, yeah, Betzalel, oh, Tzadik, oh, you know, Sani, ah, Sani Tzadik, you know, Amos, oh, Amos, Navi Amos, eh, wow, you have a compliment, see people say, oh, but imagine, 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 oh, Steve, ah, yeah, Steve, the criminal, and his wife, the murderer, and imagine that, that's the, that's, that's the Kinui, that's the uh, nickname people have, imagine, it's a, but even that, only the people around them know. Oh yeah, yeah, Steve the murderer, uh, 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 Samantha the cheater, the, uh, the, 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 the uh, guy, the thief. All oh, this different, you know. But only the people around them. So a new guy comes to the neighborhood or he, st- he moves somewhere else. No one knows him as Guy the thief and Samantha the cheater and Steve. The- no one knows him as that, so they just call themselves by the name. But when it's in a Torah... When it's in the Torah, that means for eternity, that's the way you're known. You cannot change it. Imagine, that's the nickname. Bil'am Arasha. Just, that alone is worse than Gainom. If you think about it. That alone is worse than Gainom. The whole world, everyone thinks you're Rasha. Even the Rishayim. Even the Rishayim is like, oh, I'm Rasha. But <laughs> where did I learn it from? Bil'am. I'm a student. 
המסתורף לרשב רשעים. השם ירחם. How does it start? How does it start, רבותיי? How does it start? When a person, when a person is Talmid, של אברהם, he watches every single step, every single step that he does, every single step, he realizes he's surrounded by the daughters and the sons of Hashem Itbarach, the king of kings, I have to respect them, I have to honor them, I have to help them. Even if sometimes they're Talmidim of Bilam, I have to get them out of there. I can't keep, I can't let them stay, a, uh, you know, uh, captured babies. I can't let them stay that way. I gotta save them. Why? At the end of the day, if I could take the captured baby, but it's the baby of Hashem, I could take him, bring in his little baby, bring him back to Hashem. Lord Hashem, he's your baby. Okay, so he's got some schmutz on his cheek, he's got a dirty diaper, he's got a dirty mouth, he's got a dirty personality, and he's got, but I brought him back. What do you think Hashem's going to say? Baruch thank you. My baby's back. I've been looking for him for 3,000 years. 3,000 years I've been looking for him. You brought him back, thank you. Thank you. When a person is a Talmud of Abraham Avinu, he doesn't use an excuse of get out of jail free card to just let everything stay the same and only worry about himself. The first midah, the first midah of Abraham Avinu that we learn is chesed. Chesed. What is the biggest chesed that you can do to a person? Save his neshama. Save his neshama. Get him back to home. Get him back to Hashem. Don't let him or her stay rasha. Don't let them be called a rasha for eternity like Bilam. Don't let it happen. A person understands the value of a Jew, understands he cannot let it happen. He cannot let himself stay rasha. He cannot let his uh, spouse, his kids, his neighbors, anyone he knows, he's going to do something about it. You're going to do something about it. That means that you have an interest. You have an interest in becoming a Talmud of Avraham Avinu and not of Bil'am Rasha. But with all of that being said, even though the most identifiable trademark of Avraham Avinu is Chesed, kindness, you see that this Mishnah doesn't mention it though. What does the Mishnah mention? It mentions Ayn Tova. It mentions Ruach Nemucha, the humble spirit. It mentions Nefesh Fela, undemanding soul. It doesn't mention Chesed. Why? So the Tivot Shalom says an extraordinary Chidush, something beautiful. He explains that a person must free himself of egocentric tendencies before he could be genuinely kind to others. So the disciples of Avraham Avinu, who want to develop the trait of caring, of chesed, seek to be happy with the success of others. So to be humble, and to develop undemanding soul, how do you do it? By looking for other people, by having that ayin tova, looking for other people to succeed. But how can you get other people to succeed? By helping them. Helping them succeed. Help him become a tzaddik. 
Help him become a tzaddikah. Help him succeed in life. But people that are obsessed with wealth, and Nativot Shalom says, people that think, no, no, the only way I can help is once I become a millionaire. Then I can help everybody. Once I have a zillion dollars, then I can help everybody. Once I'm famous, then one word for me, that's it, it's like Moshe Rabbeinu said it. Once I'm famous, once I'm a millionaire, once I'm this, meaning in reality they're trying to backdoor their desires and they're trying to make it a mitzvah. They have desires, they want all the physical desires in the world, but they want to make it seem like it's a mitzvah. This is a delusional person. Where the Nitivot Shalom says that a person that's obsessed with wealth, with honor, with pleasures of this world, are too busy with themselves and they have no room for others. So what about... What about all the things that they say? No, no, once I have money, then I'm going to donate. Once I have fame, then I'm going to say something. That's not what Hashem wants. Hashem wants now. Hashem wants what you have now. If He didn't want what you have now, He wouldn't put you where you are now. Someone came to the Chafetz Chaim one time, he says, Kvod Arav, is there a ticket to Gan Eden? Is there like a get out of jail free card I could go to Gan Eden? He says, yes, if you learn how to be happy with now. He goes, what do you mean with now? He goes, whatever now is now, that's what you have to be happy with. He goes, yeah, but now I have problems. He goes, exactly. He goes, yeah, but now I have a lot of problems. He goes, exactly. If you learn that now is the time to be happy with your share and to serve Hashem to the maximum amount, now, then you go to Gan Eden. But if you're always going to think about, oh, I used to be this, and I can be this, and you're only living in the past and the future then you're never living the now. If you're never living the now, then by the way, the past belongs to the Satan and the future will also. Because you'll be with him in Gehenom. You're not going to be a tzaddik. You're not going to be something special. Because you're not living the now. You're not living the now. You have an opportunity to get somebody to, a little chesed right now, a little help right now, a little chizuk now. You have an opportunity to do mitzvah now. Avraham Avinu does now. Bilam says later. What did Bilam say? The people came to him and says, Oh, listen, uh, we want you to come with us to uh, Midian, curse the Jews, do this. He goes, Oh, you know what? I'll talk to you tomorrow. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Even the sins he procrastinated for tomorrow. So even the, the Midah that we all know, the Midah that we all know, the character trait that we all know, about Avraham Avinu, of Chesed, it's not mentioned literally because really what it is is a subcategory of these three Midot. Chesed, as great as it is, is only part. It's a small part of one of these. That's how great these three things are. That's how great these three Midot are. So the disciples of Avraham Avinu Get chizuk. From who? From Avraham Avinu. How can you get chizuk from Avraham Avinu? You learn about him. Avraham Avinu had big tests. Hashem says, I'm going to give you money. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to give you... Lech lecha. Leave the house of your father. He leaves the house of his father. He uh, puts uh, everything there. Leaves, goes. Where does he go? Famine. Drought, no food, poverty. No, wait a minute, what happened to all the money? 
Hashem said. It's not like somebody said, listen, if you work for me for a couple of years, you'd be a millionaire. It's a person. Who cares? I remember the first guy I ever worked on in, in the brokerage business. He goes, yeah, within a year, you're a millionaire. Within a, a year, I was bankrupt. Why? Because he was a liar. All the money he took, he left me with nothing. So that's a person. A person that, that relies on another person is considered ahu. Is considered cursed. Why? Why are you cursing a person? Who is he? Came from a tipasrucha. Came from a, a filthy seed. He's going to be eaten by maggots. What are you trusting him for? What are you trusting him for? And if he doesn't have Torah, for sure he has midot mushchatot. He has disgusting midot anyway. What are you trusting him for? No, no, but he's rich. Okay, and? And? So, when Avraham got tested by Hashem, Hashem promised him a lot, but initially it looked like Hashem wasn't delivering Hashem Shalom. Instead of giving him a lot of money, He gave him poverty. Why? To see if He loves him. But then, then, after Lot was kidnapped, and Avraham went to fight the four kings, and beat and destroyed the four kings, he freed the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom was hiding in some well. And he came out and he saw that all of his people that were prisoners of these four kings were now free. And the Gemara in Masechet Baba Metziah says that the uh, Baba, Kama, Baba Kama says that it was very acceptable behavior for a person to, that wins a war to have the spoils of war. No, it wasn't like a uh, abnormal. It was acceptable by everyone. So now all the kings, the four kings that beat everyone, they took the spoils. All the spoils took their houses, their money, their oil, their, their their jewels, their diamonds, their everything. They took everything. So they were all zillionaires, billionaires. That each one had a stock exchange. One had bitcoins. One had Nasdaq. One had New York Stock Exchange before they destroyed it and made it all automatic and electronic. You know, everybody had an exchange. Now Avraham Avinu destroyed all of them. Meaning, all the money is his. The Gemara in Baba Kama 114a says this was a perfectly acceptable practice at the time. He was entitled to all of this wealth. And the king of Sodom says to him, Hey, take, take, take this, but just give me the people. Give me my people. Avraham in Genesis 14 verse 22 and 23 says... I lift up my hand to Hashem and swear, meaning, I'm not just saying this, I'm swearing to God. Swearing to God. If so much as a thread to a shoelace, or if I take from anything of yours, meaning, don't even bother offering me anything, even what you think and what you believe, and what you write about, that I'm entitled to, I'm swearing to Hashem, in Hashem's name. I'm not taking even a shoelace from you. Why? It's yours. Why not? Because of Avinu says, I never want you to say, Oh, Avram, yeah, you heard about Avram. Yeah, Avram, he's a president. Oh, Avram, he's famous. Avram, you heard of Avram. Oh, who did he make him rich? Me. 
Who, before Avram became, uh, who do you think? Who do you think put him on the map? Who do you think? Who do you think hosted him? Who do you think donated the first check? Who do you think published? Who do you think did it? Do I have to say? Do I, do, do I have to say who did it? Do I really have to say who? Avram. Avram should be synonymous. Do I have to say? Do I have to say? Do I have to say who did it? Do I have to say? Do I have to say who did it? Ay, ay, ay. People do these things. They think they're doing a mitzvot. They want to take credit for their mitzvot. They become averot. The Gemara says if a person knew, if a person knew that what kavod he gets in this world, if he gets kavod for mitzvah, how much he loses in Shemaim. When he gets to, when he gets to Shemaim, he's going to start crying crocodile tears. Why? He says the little bit of kavod, the little bit of chazaku baruch. Wow, Shecha, he donated 10,000 to the Bikneset. Uh, wow, you're the biggest donor this year, 100,000. Kola kavod, standing ovation. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes to Shemaim and he's crying hysterical. Why? That kavod that he got for five minutes of fakeness from everybody, because no one actually cares. Everybody's jealous of him and wants him to die. But the reality is, that kavod that he got took away 99% of the reward. So the 1% that he has left, he sees he's getting literally a world for it. He's getting, imagine, you got earth. You gave $10,000 taka. Out of the $10,000 taka, you spent 9900 You only have 100 bucks left. For that 100 bucks in Shemaim, you say, oh, 100 bucks, I'm going to give you earth. Is it your fee? You don't have to, no real estate broker, even Fidel can't get a job in heaven. Even Fidel and Ghanaian said, no, no, Fidel, we, uh, we're good. Over here, there's no, there's no commission. $100, you get an entire planet. Entire planet you get for 100 bucks. What are you crying about now? What could I have gotten with a 10,000? What could, if 100 bucks I got earth, what could I have gotten with 10,000? What kind of cry are you going to have? Like, uh, like Amos always says, fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. Now, it's not a fear of missing out. It's a confirmation of missing out. It's a confirmation. Why? Because now you see the hundred bucks you got on this planet. What could you have done with 10,000? So Talmid Shil Avraham, a person that's a Talmid of Avraham Avinu, a disciple of Avraham Avinu, understands that the Satan, the Malach HaMavet, is going to come to you with different offers of unkosher money. Unkosher money. They tell you, listen, do a deal with this guy. Yeah, but this guy is a Mechalil Shem Hashem. He's a known heretic. He's a known uh, menuval. Hey, what do you want me to make? A few dollars. Quick, quick money by sell, by, uh, by helping him start a, uh, do the development, the, the development on a strip club. Because you're, 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 you're a construction worker. You're a construction worker. That's your job. So you have a new customer. Customer calls. Yeah, listen, I uh, heard about you. You're good. You have good price. You have good work. You have good this. Yeah, I'm actually opening a new place. I want you to come. You come. He tells you, yeah, I see this building. I just bought this whole building. Bought this whole building. I want you to remodel it. I'm going to actually have nice girls from wall to wall making sins 24 hours a day. Making sins 24 hours a day. Every single person comes in, he guaranteed to go to Gainom. Go. Won't you help me? Well, pray whatever price you want. The bar over here, Gainom here, that's the first level. The bar over there, second level. The girls over there, seventh level. Oh, that. Bill, help me out. Now you're going to get it. It's a million dollar job, two million dollar job, five million dollar job. 
Now, your wife is crying, your kids are crying, and they have holes in their shirts, holes in their pants, you can't pay tuition, you can't eat, you can't drink, you can't die. You're like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not actually promoting his club, I'm just helping him build it. There's a leniency you can find somewhere in some mystical book. That means you are a Talmud of Bil'am. Why? You're allowing yourself to bend the rules to your convenience. That's why there's a wonderful question that Sonny asked. He says, sometimes you have a situation, an opportunity, where you get something for free. But in reality, you know that somebody else stole it. What is it like? For example, software. Software. You could literally take any software, any software that's sold for thousands of dollars or for whatever, you get it for free. Why? Somebody that bought it, uploaded it to some website, or gave it to some friend who uploaded it to a different website to allow anybody that wants to download it. In essence, stole, the original guy paid for it, or stole it, or whatever it is, but now he's allowing everybody else to benefit over this, which is obviously stealing. The, the, the Microsoft and Adobe and all of these companies... They didn't sell one license. They didn't have an intention to sell one fifteen, twenty, fifty dollar, or hundred dollar license for fifty thousand people to benefit from. One for one. But the guy, the original guy that stole it, he put it up there. And he allowed everybody else to uh, to take it. Are you allowed to use it? Because tachlis, you know, it's stolen. You know, it's stolen. Why? Somebody stole it. You know, <laughs> they sell it on the website for two hundred dollars. You're getting it for free. Obviously, what? Because they like you. Because you're good looking. Because you got a nice ten, what? Obviously, you know it's stolen. Based on alacha, based on alacha, the original guy, the original guy that stole it, that made it available to everybody else and stole it, he's a thief. He has a serious problem. He goes up to Shemaim, all the mitzvot he did. He goes, "Good for you. You have mitzvot enough to get you to Gan Eden." Okay, can I enter? No. Why? You're a thief. You cannot enter Gan Eden with blood on your hands. Stealing is blood on your hands. You have to come back as a Gilgul to pay back everybody else. How can I pay them back? Oh, maybe you'll be a horse. We'll get you back as a horse. They can ride you. They can work you. Or maybe you'll be a, uh, a donkey. They can put some sacks on top of you. Maybe you'll be a dog. Make them happy. Lay on them. Lick them. Play with them. Whatever. We'll, we'll give you a nice job. We'll give you a nice job. A donkey or, or, or a horse or a bird maybe. Maybe here, a nice little turtle, nice turtle with a little, uh, nice tie-on, a turtle. Make the kids happy. What? You want to steal? Come back, it's something like that. Nice cat, maybe. Meow. You'll be the best meow all over the streets. Everybody's going to know you. So now, God doesn't want to come back as a cat or a dog or a donkey or a turtle. He's not going to steal. But the original guy that stole is a problem. What about everybody else? What about everybody else? Allah speaking, the other people that benefit from the software, Allah they're allowed to use it. Why? Because the software owner, the one that sold it originally, gave up on this product. What is it like if, let's say, for example, a person 
was at a restaurant or was at an office and he had a conversation with one person and during that conversation he uh, forgot his wallet or he forgot a, I don't know, a bag full of uh, diamonds or something. And then he left and he realized 20 minutes later he got to wherever he wanted to but he realized that he forgot something over there. Now he didn't give up on it. Why? Because he knows there's only a small separation. It's 15 minutes ago I was here. So the, the, the uh, likelihood that it would be anywhere else is unlikely. So he's not going to give up on this lost product. He's going to look for it. If he comes back and the guy says no, he's going to have a little bit of a problem. What do you mean no? I was just here 15 minutes ago. I was here. Look. So he's not going to give up on it. But if a guy, for example, lost something, but he only realizes it a month and a half later, or he lost it, but he lost it in a different country. He lost it in Australia. He came back to the U.S., by the time he came back, already just a flight alone is 25 hours. By the time he realized what he lost, it already two, three, four, five days later, it's a different country, it's a different place. Most of the time, if you, if you forgot over there, you're not getting it, and you're not even going to be too upset that you're not getting it because it's already expected. If you got it, you consider it like a miracle, Yamsuf. If the hotel sends you something you left in the room, whatever it is, it's like, wow, what a miracle, I can't believe it. Why? Because already when it's so far, so far you already pretty much give up on it. That is the software owner. The software owner that knows that this is unfortunately the part of the wickedness of mankind, that they know that some people are going to steal. And they're not, even though they have these disclosures on the software and on the internet, if you steal, we're going to fine you a million dollars, 500,000, 250,000, FBI, no one ever really gets prosecuted. Why? Because they know to actually, for sure, identify who did it and how they did it and who benefited out of it, it's going to cost much more than what we'd have. What's you going to get? $15? It's not worth it. So they give up on it. The original owner that was, that, that was robbed gives up on it. The original owner that you that was stolen from the two hundred dollars software, he gives up on it. So the fiftieth guy or the fifty thousandth guy that downloads the software for free, which is technically stolen, he's not stealing. Why? Because now it's become hefkir. The owner gave up on it already. The fact that it's available for free, it's free because it's hefkir because the owner gave up on it. So it's not a sin, but it's a big but. Midat chasidut. We are not trying to be people that play with the gray area. We're not trying to like skin into Gan Eden. We want to walk in proud because we worked really hard. So we try to be chasidim in certain aspects, especially easy things like this. So what do you say? Listen, I know I'm allowed to take the software, but I'm not. Why? Because by taking it, number one, it's encouraging thieves to continue. Even though the thief doesn't know I exist, still, the more people download his stuff, he sees results, he's like, oh, you know what? I stole Adobe, I'll steal Microsoft. I stole Microsoft, I'll steal this one. I'll, st- I'll start stealing everything. Next thing you know, I'll steal uh, your house. Say, oh yeah, you didn't need your house. So, by benefiting from these stolen products, you are in essence supporting them, you're giving them power. That's number one. Number two, it shows a lack of emunah. It shows a lack of emunah where, in essence, again, this is unknown, but in essence, you're saying that there's a tool that you need, but Hashem can't pay for it. The king of the world, the king of kings, Hashem Barach, 
Everything it says, Li Kola Aretz, he says. Mine is everything. Liya Kesef and Liya Zavi says also in another place. Mine is the money, mine is the gold, mine is everything. You say, no, no, mine is everything except this one thing. He can't afford to buy me uh, Microsoft software. He can't afford to buy me Adobe. He can't afford to buy me this uh, $5,000 program that I need to make you videos. What do you mean you can't? What's the matter with you? If you need it, he'll pay for it. If you want it, it's a different story. If you want it, it's a different story. If you need it, it's for something good. What's the problem? So that's the thing. So it also shows Choser Emunah. The third thing is a very, very big risk. What's the third thing? Third thing is Chilul Hashem. A Jew must always worry about desecrating Hashem's name because desecrating Hashem's name is a type of sin that you cannot do tshuva for in this world. You must go to Gehenom. You only start repenting for Chilul Hashem when you die. Who wants to go to Gehenom? Are you insane? Now I'm talking about intentional Chilul Hashem. So now, what happens? A guy... A guy sees an opportunity to take stuff. He sees there's a certain big company, there's a Google, there's a Microsoft, there's a Coca-Cola. There's one of these Fortune 500 companies, they have a kitchen. You know, some of these big companies, they have a big kitchen, a big cafeteria, and they don't charge their employees. Eat whatever you want. Now this guy, he says, ah, eat whatever you want. So what does he do? He starts taking food home. Now, the, the Google and Microsoft and Coca-Cola and, 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 and all these companies, they're not paying for it. They're not putting that food for your kids. They're not putting that food for your kids. They're not giving that food for your family and for your neighbors and for your neighborhood. They're putting it for the employees of the company. They're not uh, saying, but the guy, he doesn't care about that. He said, no, no, it's already here. It's here for the taking. He takes the fridge. I'll take the fridge too. He takes all of the bottles, all of the cans, all of the sandwiches. Oh, oh, uh, all the way from New York, Baruch Hashem. Ken, come see He sees the Coca-Cola, he sees the Pepsi, he sees the chips, he sees this, and he starts filling up bags, bags of stuff, bags of stuff, bags of stuff. Hashem Yachev, he's thinking he's doing a mitzvah. Why? Listen, they're giving stuff out in the cafeteria. I'm taking them, helping them out. This is mitzvah from the Satan. The company did not put the food in the cafeteria for your family. They put it for you to eat if you work for them. They put it for you to eat. So what happens now? Even though the company is not going to prosecute the person that took all the Coca-Cola bottles and all of the sandwiches and the cookies and all that stuff, they're not going to prosecute. They're not, most likely not even going to fire them. But they may not even care. They may not even care. But one guy that already is looking for an excuse not to be religious... He sees the guy with the kippah. He sees the guy with the beard taking all this extra potato chips for his entire community. He sees the guy with the beard and the tzitzit sticking out, taking all the cans of bottle. He's filling up. They're taking it from one truck. He's putting it into his own truck. He sees he's taking office supplies. He's taking cookies. He's taking whatever he can get his hands on. And he let the dime everywhere. He's washing his hands everywhere. He says, I see these religious people. They're all thieves. See these religious people, disgusting. Yeah, yeah, he starts blaming religion. It has nothing to do with religion. It has to do with midot mushchatot, with terrible midot. But the non-religious, the atheists, 
the kofer, the Christian, the Oved Avodazah, all those people, when they're going to blame, they're going to blame the Torah. Because they're looking for an excuse to justify their sins. So now they saw the guy with the beard and the hat and the tzitzit do something that's really unethical. Say, ah, you see. So what you have now? You have now a Coca-Cola bottle and a Pepsi and a potato chips all is full of chiloshem. All of it is full of chiloshem. You now go up to Shammai and says, oh, you have to go to Geinom. What? Geinom? What Geinom? My word. Mincha, Arvi, Chachit, Nets, this Nets. I went to Nets three times. I went to Nets. They started Nets at six. I started at four. Midat Chasidut. You still have to go to Geinom. Why? Potato chips. You went, you go to Geinom for potato chips. Hashem Yachem. I mean, imagine, imagine you worked your whole life, 70, 80, 90 years. You go up to Shammai and say, you have to go to Geinom for three years. What? Why? Potato chips. Oy vay voy, oy vay voy. Imagine you have to go, imagine. For, oh yeah, you remember that cookie? Remember that cookie that, that the one you took? And the one that... You other one? Remember? Yeah, somebody was watching. Other than Hashem. The guy that, were, that, the guy that you invited to the lecture, well, you know why he didn't go to the lecture? Because he saw you steal a cookie. You know why he didn't go to the lecture? Because he saw you fill up your bag with uh, staples. The office staples. I remember in my office, in the last few years, we moved a lot. Downsizing. We had a big office, 7,000 square feet, then you had to downsize to less and less and less and less. But the, 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 one of the most difficult things, one of the most difficult things, at least for me, as I was the owner at the time, was that when I would go through the desks of all the employees, I would always find their desks full of brand new stuff. All of the office supplies that we would buy, anytime I would need to use them, they would always be gone. I would always have to buy more. But then when we would move, you go through everything. You have to you know, clear up all the drawers, all the desks, all the everything. And there, each one of them is storing 30 pens, 500 staples, all this, like all the you know, notebooks from here to start a whole new staples already store. Like what are you storing it for? All of them will like steal it and like to make sure they have it. Like they all have their own like personal stuff. But I'm paying for it. But that's the thing. People are generous with other people's stuff. You can't do such a thing when you're a Jew. It's Chilu Hashem. It's Chilu Hashem. So Tamidev Avraham Avinu, the, 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 the disciples of Avraham Avinu, think about stuff like this. They think about stuff like this. They say, listen, even if the, the money is kosher, it's allowed, but it has even the smell of non-kosher. It has the look of non-kosher. It has the feel of non Somebody will say, you know what? Ah, he's, a, he's like a half a thief. He's like a half a thief. Yeah he, yeah, he succeeded. Yeah, but you know, all of his customers are gangsters. Yeah, he's a successful lawyer, but you know, he, uh, you remember that the murderer, the guy that you know, killed 500 people? Yeah, he got him out of jail. What do you mean he got him out? He's a murderer. Yeah, but you know, he's a good lawyer. What good lawyer? You, you're, you're now a partner to a, to a crime. So, it's... Even if it looks unkosher, if it smells unkosher, the Tamidim of Avraham Avinu will stay away from it. That's why Avraham Avinu said to the king of Sodom, even though I'm allowed, the Gemara says I'm allowed, Baba, come, I'm, I'm allowed, I'm allowed to take all the spoils of war. I don't want a shoestring from you. Why? It has the smell of non-kosher. So people are going to say, the king of Sodom made Avraham Avinu rich. And not Hashem. Not worth it. Not worth it. So the first thing is that a person wants to make sure that 
He has full emunah in Hashem, even when it's difficult. Even when it's easy to be on the uh, stealing side, on the non-kosher side. Why? Because it's allowed. There's a gray area. There's a gray area. This, unfortunately, is one of the flaws of modern orthodoxy today. I don't know about the original uh, founders of, of modern orthodoxy. I know they didn't have the intentions, for sure. Some of them were real big tzaddikim. Didn't have the intentions of what's happened to it and how it's deteriorated over the last couple of generations. But today, modern orthodoxy is viewed as the gray area of orthodoxy. Meaning, you have people sometimes going to learn Torah in different yeshivot and different universities and so on. Not, in essence, to learn for the sake of heaven and to learn for the sake of knowing what Hashem Bach wants. But, and I've met more than a few, to find the gray area. What can I get away with? What can I... Okay, this is allowed. This is not allowed. Okay, fine. But what can I get... How close can I get to the not allowed? How, how much of the gray area can I be in? Now, of course, every person can tell you everything is not allowed, but that doesn't make him a chacham. You're not supposed to say everything is not allowed. At the same token, someone says that everything is allowed is a chacham. A real chacham will find leniencies. One of the dulot, one of the giant things about Avrav Avadia, Allah Shalom, is that he found leniencies. He found ways to make certain things lenient. But he found legal leniencies, kosher leniencies, not leniencies just to uh, you know to, to make uh, to make sinners uh, you know happy about themselves. But that's the problem. When your Torah is not lishma, you're not learning for Hashem. You're looking for leniencies. The leniencies may start kosher, but in the end, they're tarif. And unfortunately, today, for example, when the Chachamim said that a uh, the dress that a woman needs to wear, has to cover the bottom of the knee, six inches, some say four inches, from the bottom of the knee. From the bottom of the knee. Now, they didn't mean to imply that that's the dress you should wear, that it should cover exactly six inches or four inches below the knee. No, that's not what they said. They said, that's the line. That is the red line. Don't mess with it. Meaning, you should definitely have something much longer than that. Ideally, you should be to, to, the, to the bottom, to, the, to your ankles. That's really what you should be doing. But if it so happens, you want to, you know, you, you are allowed, there is a gray area, but to make sure you don't get to the line. You don't get to the six inches part. What happened with modern orthodoxy? They said, oh, six inches, that's what you should do. That's like, yeah, it's lechatchila. That's the dress you should wear. That's the skirt you should wear. It should cover six inches. But you know what? Some say four. So cover at the four. Meaning we're always going to be at the line. So what happens when you're always at the line? Eventually, the, you know, this brings a bigger threshold. And you have more leniency and more leniency. And next thing you know, you see a lot of what so-called religious women walking around with unkosher skirts. Unkosher and immodest skirts. But they think they're doing a mitzvah because they're wearing a skirt. In reality, it was better off if they wore pants. Some of these skirts are so short, it's better off they wore pants. But they go to Beknesset, they go see the rabbi, they have a meeting with the rabbi, the rabbi says nothing. Why? His wife is just like them. We're already a generation, two generations into this, toivat Hashem, that no one says anything. No one says anything. The woman walks around, imadis, thinking she's, uh, you know, 
a uh, Rebbitzin. She's the Rebbitzin of the community because she's at six inches. She's at four inches. She doesn't realize that was the threshold. That was the red line. Don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. What do we do? We made lechatchila. That is in essence the problem with the modern orthodoxy type of mentality where you're looking for the gray area. A person could literally fulfill every single mitzvah in the Torah and arrive to Shammai and they say, yes, you are naval birshut Torah. You're despicable in the name of the Torah. You fulfilled every mitzvah, but in an unkosher way. In an unkosher way. You looked for all the things that you can do, get away with. Oh yeah, I could, uh, you know, it's like people treat the IRS. How much can I write off? Oh, write off, oh, I can write off 30000 Okay, yeah, I have 30000 of expenses. Yeah, but you, are you sure you have 30000 of expenses? No, if that's what I can write off, I'll do $30,000. i will make the thing. I'll create the expenses. Now, if you're doing it for the IRS, it's one thing. You're doing it to Hashem, you have a problem. You have a problem. So, a person needs to know that... If he's going to be a disciple of Abraham Avinu, these are the type of things he's going to think about constantly. He's not looking to get away with things. He's looking to be a chassid. He's looking to do things, if he has an opportunity, if he has the ability to do even better, do better. Don't look to get away with it. If you're such a big yetzerah, you have like the yetzerah of Sodom, okay, at least do the minimum. But if you know that this one thing, you can push a little bit. Push! Do more! But don't play with the red line too much. Because the red line keeps changing, and if you start developing this type of mentality, you're always working on leniency and leniency and leniency. Eventually, you're a lenient, secular person. You're so lenient, you become secular. You're so lenient, your kids have become atheists. This actually was a... uh, a um, independent film that some person made where she actually made a film about the lives of different kids within the modern orthodoxy world growing up modern orthodox and um, the big thing in the modern orthodoxy world is once they finish school they go to Israel for a year and some people become really religious and it's surprising because Many of them, you know, go to Israel to party. They start off partying and some of them, you know, towards the end of the trip become, you know, get uh, impacted uh, spiritually, decide to move there, become more religious or come back, become more religious. And it's like a a whole uh, movement. And a lot of people in the modern orthodoxy world rely on this trip that they send their kids to, uh, to, to Israel for a year to hopefully they can do tshuva. Now the question those parents should ask themselves is why is a religious kid need to do tshuva. If you call yourself modern orthodox, that means you're considered somewhat religious. Why are you raising your kid that they're for sure going to have to do tshuva? If you just did tshuva, you were secular, like we were most of our life, okay, it's fine, different story. But if you've been religious your whole life already, this your kid is already a second generation, why are you living your life where you know that at 17, 18 years old, you're going to send your kid away to hopefully do tshuva in Israel? Like, what's the matter? Why didn't he do tshuva for the first 17 years? Why? Because the reality is, the problem starts with the parents. The problem starts with the chinuch of the parents. The parents themselves never did real tshuva. 
But they thought, okay, listen, I'm not 100% uh, keeping everything, still a little immodest, still a little this, still a little that, but I'm still Shomer Shabbos. I'm still Shomer Shabbos. I still keep Shabbat, still keep kosher, still this, I'll send my kids to Yeshiva. Still everything's good, right? So they figure, I'm not going to get by, I'm not going to sneak into Gan Eden. Let's say you're right. But what's the surprise? The surprise is that your kid is always going to be less than you. So you were the Shomer Shabbos, and you were keeping this, and you were keeping the basic minimum, but your kid is keeping less than the basic minimum because the line, the threshold, got further. The leniency got bigger. You are good where you're at. You are literally at the line. Your kid crossed the line. Your kid doesn't want to be Shomer Shabbos. He wants to be a Shomer Yom Shishi. Only Friday. Not the, not the Saturday part. You want to keep Pesach? Okay, he's going to keep Shavuot instead. You want to keep Talat Mishpachah? He is too, when he gets married. But until then, everything is free for him. And so on and so forth. There's leniencies. A lot of them have girlfriends before marriage. A lot of them are... Uh, so, they say, oh, you have to go to Israel to go do Juba. Don't you see there's already a flaw in the system? You're raising your kid in a situation where you're literally relying on a nest. You're relying on a miracle. Why? The... The rabbis have told us time and time again the ma'alot of a Baal Tshuva. Somebody has a Baal Tshuva. The Mesilat Yesharim, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Luzato says, you want to go and become something special? Go learn from a Baal Tshuva. Why doesn't he say go learn from uh, somebody that was born with a hat? He says, because the guy who he's going to teach you the one the Baal Tshuva, real Baal Tshuva, not fake Baal Tshuva. Real Baal Tshuva... He knows both sides. He's going to teach you both sides. He's going to teach you not only to not sin, but why you sh- shouldn't want to sin. Shouldn't want to sin because he saw it. He's giving it to you experience. He saw the sin. He knows it's disgusting. It's filthy, but it looks delicious. It looks delicious, but once you bite into it, it's poison. Poison is disgusting. But you don't know. You still, you, to you, it looks delicious. So the Baal Shuba is going to tell you, listen, I took a bite. It's disgusting. It's so dis- I, I vomited for three years. You gonna take a chance? No, finished. So the, the the rabbis have told us time and time again. The Gemara and the Tzadiki already told us the malot of the Balat Shuvah. It's great, but the point is that everybody knows that to do Shuvah is a miracle of its own. It's a miracle of its own to do Shuvah. It's a miracle. So why are you gonna raise your kid in such a way where you're gonna force your kid to do Shuvah? Because realistically. Realistically, you put yourself in a, such a situation that you know that you're not so perfect. You know that you're on the gray line, you're on the red line yourself, and your kid most likely is going to get worse. And you're in essence preparing already for him. Whenever he gets worse, he's going to fix it at 18. What if he doesn't? What if he's like the, actually the person that produced that film? Became an atheist. She was an atheist and she... Uh, she is an atheist. She, she, that's why she did the, did the film. She doesn't understand why people do tshuva. She, she, she's an atheist. She believes that everything starts from nothing and everything is nothing and everything is not. She's nothing and she is Shem Echem. Modern Orthodox atheist. Doesn't keep Shabbat, doesn't keep Talmud Mishpacha, doesn't keep nothing. Keeps zero, nothing. Hopefully by now she did tshuva. But the point of Rabotai is that she, her parents were like, 
barely getting in. She became an atheist. I mean, katze le katze. They have a daughter that's an atheist. It's the worst thing you can do. So why would you do that to your kid? Why would you murder your kid before you even giving him a right chance? That's why us as parents need to know that the story of Tisha B'Av, the Kochba V'Bar Kochba, Rabbi Ephraim says, it's not just that one of them is at fault. The Gemara says that the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed because of Kochba and Bar Kochba. Why? If one of them never showed up to the party, why is he at fault? The guy that showed up to the party and they embarrassed him in public and, uh, and, uh, you know, and, 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 and he wanted to take revenge and he took it too far and he went to the Romans and he destroyed the Midash. Okay, he's a Rasha. He was a victim, but eventually took it too far. His arrogance was so big. Such a horrible Midah. They took it. But what about the one that didn't even go to the party? Why is he at fault? Why is the story? Why is the Gemara says it's Kochba, Bebar Kochba? Rabbi Ephraim says, look at the language the Gemara uses. Kochba, Bar Kochba. What's Bar Kochba mean? Sad. So what does it mean? Whose fault is it? It's the father's fault. Why? Why'd you teach your kid? Why'd you teach your kid that if somebody insults him, he can go and take revenge? Take revenge, go to kill everybody. So it's not just the son's fault. It's the father's fault. Why? If you taught your kid Musal, if you taught your kid Musa, okay, you get embarrassed. Okay, it's horrible. Okay, it's painful. But he's, he's going to think, listen, okay, he's horrible. They're horrible. But I don't need to go crazy and kill everybody. Whose fault is it? The father. The father. A million years we're reading that story. Never realized they're related. That's because we're learning Barah. We don't learn. We have to learn these things. Bar Kamsa, 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 Bar Kamsa, Kamsa, Bar Kamsa. Kamsa, Bar Kamsa. The name of the person that insulted them? I don't know. You know the name? Is it mentioned? I don't think it was mentioned. So anyway, it's Mekbara Masechet Gitim 55A and B. So anyway, you can look into it. I think I have maybe... Uh, anyway, so first thing is, is that a person needs to check themselves. Check themselves. Or am I just looking to get away with things? Am I looking to get away with things? Next thing is, we're going to finish, we're going to finish momentarily, is uh, even though Avram saw that the three people that came, he thought of them as three idol worshippers, three Arabs, he still invited them as an opportunity to do Kiruv. He said, no, I'll give you, I'll give you a little bit of bread, stay, stay, stay. He ends up giving them each one an entire cow, entire uh, um, bull. It's a lot. You promise bread, you give a lot. This is a midah of a tzaddik. What does a tzaddik do? Say little, do much. Say little, do much. What's a midah of a rasha? Say a lot, do little. No, no. Million dollars, it's on me. Next thing you know, he's not picking up your phone. Yeah, yeah, it's on me. No, don't worry about it. I got it, I got it, I got it. No, he's not. Wait, wait. Check came. The guy's in the bathroom forever. Never leaving. Says a lot, does little. So already we see that Tzaddik, and descendant of a Tzaddik, like Avama Vinu, says little, does much. The other thing is, is that when he's actually hosting guests, when he's hosting guests, he's using it as an opportunity to do Kiddush Hashem, not to just show off his house and his cooking. A lot of people think they invite their friends because they have good food in their house, and they have a nice house they just remodeled, that's achnasat uh, ochim, the mitzvah of achnasat ochim. 
הכנסת אורחים is not to show off your food. הכנסת אורחים, bringing guests, is to bring people that don't have a different place. Either because they don't have food, they don't have a place to eat. That's הכנסת אורחים. It's not just, a, you know, every, every week you and, your, uh, you and your best friend are switching who's going to pay for, for, for dinner. It's nice, but it's not the mitzvah. It's not the mitzvah. What was Avraham Avinu trying to do here? He's trying to do kiruv. Why? Because anybody that would come, you would give them the world. You would give them whatever they wanted. But he said, listen, at the end, they finished, they're not everybody's happy. It's like, all right, how much, do I, how much do we owe you? All this stuff costs money. It's like, listen, you can either pay me, or you can say, Pekat Amazon. You can either pay me, or you can say thank you to Hashem. Meaning he used even this as an opportunity to sanctify Hashem's name. That, was, that is what Avraham Avinu does. That is what his descendants are supposed to do. The third thing of Avraham Avinu we learn already is that, just like it says in Tachanun, Tachanun it says that, Atat Tzadik Hashem, you're a righteous. Avraham Avinu never complained to Hashem. Never complained to Hashem. Why? When his, when his, uh, when his wife, love of his life, Sarai Menu, died. When she died, she died a good time. She well, well, how she died? He went do Yitzchak. He went to go bring his son as a sacrifice. The love of his son waved him for a hundred years. He went to go slaughter, and then he passed the test. Now I know your fear, Yashem says, "Don't touch the son. Don't touch the boy. It's just a test." He comes. He passed the test. But Hashem, you think you get a big blessing? He comes home and finds out the love of his life, Sarai Menu died. And the parasha, Chaye Sarah says, Avraham, Livkota. Livkota means he cried, he uh, mourned over her, but the chaf in Livkota, in mourn, is small. Why is small? Chachamim say, Rabbeinu Hirsch says, and also Lekli uh, Ekar, both say, oh, Avraham is teaching us something. What? You're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to be sad, but not a lot. A little bit. A lot to be sad, but contain it. Contain it. Sadness is part of life, but contain it. Don't become one of these crazy people crying for 20 years. Avraham was sad, but a little bit. Why? Because he knew this world is a corridor. Sarai men with a tzedeket. She goes to Ganeda and everything will be okay. Yeah, but I can't live with her anymore and I can't enjoy her anymore and I can't see her anymore. Yes, but that's Ritzon Hashem. Hashem did it, that means it's the best. He never ever questioned Hashem. He never questioned Hashem. He trusted Hashem, and Hashem was righteous. The next thing is, is that you see that the tzaddik, the Avraham Avinu, he wasn't a selfish person in every aspect of his life when he heard that the wicked people of Sodom were going to be destroyed. What did he do? He prayed for them. Why didn't he pray for himself? Hashem, make sure they don't do it for me. Hashem, by the way, can you give me a little more panasa? Hashem, by the way, my son needs a zivug. You know, I need a son, and he needs a zivug. Hashem, and this, and that. How come he didn't pray for himself? How come these people are wicked? What did he do? He prayed for them. A tzaddik prays for other people. He's not only playing on... Of course you pray for yourself, but you pray for other people first. Why? That's the way to get your prayers answered. You pray for other people. Hashem says, ah, oh, it's the son of Avram. Okay, I'll answer your prayers. What do you want? Mm-hmm. Now, I def- now I know who you are. Oh, you're son of Avram. Oh, so what do you want? 
Now I know what you want. Why? Before I, I wasn't sure. So maybe Bilam, maybe uh, somebody else. I don't know. But now you pray for other people. Oh, you're the descendant of Abraham Avinu. What do you want, my son? Your grandfather, what Sadiq he was, just because of his merit, I'll answer your prayers. Why? Because he prayed for other people. Every single day a woman should read Tehilim, not just for her own problems. For Amisrael, for her family, for her friends, for her neighbors, for everybody. Read, go pick a person, pray for them every day, pick a community, pray for them every day, pray for the rabbi, pray for the wife, pray for the son. pray for other people. That's the secret to get your prayers answered. Why? Because now we pray for others, that's the midah of Avraham Avinu. Hashem says, oh, Avraham, hey, your grandfather, your grandson, hey, look, he's related to you. What does he want? But if we pray only for ourselves, it's Bilam. Bilam only prayed for himself. So, here we see that's the fourth thing. Fifth thing. Sfono says, the humility, humility, that Avraham Avinu expressed when he went to buy the Marat HaMachpelah, shows that Avraham, even at his peak, even at the height of his success, when it says that Avraham was blessed Bakol, Avraham, was blessed Bakol. The Gemara says Bakol not only means that he was blessed with everything, but also means that he had a daughter named Bakol. We said it in the Shio two weeks ago in uh, Hollywood. But anyway, um, Avram was blessed with everything. So when he went to buy the Marat HaMachpelah, he was, uh, oh, if, I'm, if, I'm, if you guys could please help me, like a little humble guy. He's a uh, hey. It's like, no, well, what are you humble? Well, you're Isha Elohim. You're a man of God. You're a man of God. What are you, give you anything you want, whatever you want. Oh, you want to buy the Ma'at Machpelah? Ephron, no, well, couch. They say that if he spoke to Ephron, Ephron became the mayor. Why? Avram spoke to you? Psh, that means you must be a great person. Avram is so great. If he spoke to you, you must be a great person. They made him a mayor on the same day. Made Ephron the mayor. So now... Sfono says, look at that. Even though the people called Avram Avinu, man of God, he should have said, listen, he said, it's free, I want it free. And not only that, I want the field around it, I want this, I want that. You guys think I'm a man of God? Okay, no, work for me. No, Avram said, no, please, if you can help me, please. Always kept his head down. Why? He never let success go to his head. And that, by the way, Rabotai, is one of the most difficult tests there is in this world. To be a humble, poor person is very easy. <laughs> what are you proud about? You're poor. You have. Uh, you don't have so much to offer. Eh, maybe you're, uh, you. You know a lot. So, but if you don't know a lot, you don't know anything, and you don't have any money, and you don't have anything else. What are you so proud about? One guy uh, comes to a rabbi and he says to him, "Kvod Rav." Listen, I don't know, people, my wife keeps complaining, she keeps complaining. Wow, what's she complaining? She says, oh, I'm uh, really arrogant. Goes, you, arrogant? He goes, yeah, I don't know what she's talking about. Because, uh, what should I do? He goes, oh, you know what, do me a favor. Wait, uh, wait for me in my, uh, in my office over there, and I'll, uh, I'll figure something out. Just stay here all day. At the yeshiva. He's sitting in yeshiva, looking at the books, doesn't really know what it says. What is this? Is he read? Is this English? Do you have oxygen? What is this? He doesn't know what he's doing. 
So one guy comes to him a little while later and says, Ah, oh, listen, uh, I, I need a pirush. You have a commentary on this Gemara over here? He goes, what? Gemara? What is that? The food? He goes, no, 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 the book. Gemara, oral Torah, there's a commentary. He goes, who sent you to me? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a yeshiva bachur. I'm balabai, I barely know Aleph Bet. What are you talking about? He goes, oh. He goes, who sent it you to me? He goes, the rabbi. He goes, the rabbi made a mistake. He thought it was Tamikha. I'm sorry, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. I don't know anything. So the guy walks away. The guy's confused. Why would the rabbi send somebody to go learn Gemara with him? Continue sitting, sitting, sitting. A little while later, somebody comes to him. He says, uh, oh, please listen. My, my, uh, my, my daughter is getting married. We only have 24 hours. We have to come up with the $5,000. Please, uh, if you could make the check payable. Whoa, hold on a second. What? What, what five? What are you talking about? He goes, no, $5,000 for my daughter's wedding. He goes, who sent you to me? I don't have, it. I don't have that kind of money. He goes, oh, you don't? He goes, no. He goes, who sent it to you? The rabbi. He goes, I don't know why. I, I don't, I don't, I'm, stuck. I'm barely making it. I'm making ends meet. Barely, I'm barely. I, I ate uh, uh, cereal from yesterday, today. What are you talking about? I barely make it. I don't have any money like that. Okay, so he lives. He goes, the rabbi sent you? The rabbi sent you. He's confused. He's like, I don't understand. The rabbi sent somebody to learn Gemara with me. The rabbi sent somebody like a... A little while later, somebody comes to him. Goes, yeah. So it hurts over here, and when I lift, I don't know it hurts a lot more. But then sometimes he goes, what, "What are you doing? I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm sorry. What are you doing? I'm not a doctor." He goes, "No, no. But the rabbi sent you to me. Sent, sent me to you. He said that you you understand uh, medicine." And then he goes, I'm "Not a medicine. I'm a truck driver. I help people move once in a while. You know, I don't know anything." The rabbi sent you? What's the rabbi sent me? I have to go see this rabbi. I'm already here five hours. He keeps sending these strange people to me. So he goes to the rabbi. He goes, Kvod Arab, I don't understand. You send somebody to get, uh, you know, to, to, to get commentary about Gemara. I barely know what Gemara is. He says, what is going on here? It's for money, for medicine. What is going on? He goes, no. See, I was trying to figure out. You came to me. You told me that your wife says that you're arrogant. So I wanted to see, what are you arrogant about? I said, oh, maybe he knows a lot of Torah. So I sent somebody to go learn Torah with you. He said, you don't know Torah. He says, ah, oh, must have a lot of money. So he's very angry about a lot of money that he has. So I said, somebody, if he has a lot of money, he should share it. I said, somebody needs, uh, needs some staka for his daughter for, for, for a wedding. Give him to God. But you don't have any money either. I said, ah, so he must be really wise. Know the world. Know medicine. Know sciences. No, know the wisdom of the world. So I said, somebody had a problem with the doctors don't have a problem. I figured you probably have a cure. But you don't know either. So I said, what is he? You don't have any reason to be. Tell your wife it's okay. You have no reason to be arrogant. You don't have anything. You don't have Torah, you don't have money, you don't have, you have nothing. What are you arrogant about? What are you arrogant about? So a person needs to know that in reality, none of us have any reason to be arrogant. Why? Because even Avraham Avinu, that had everything, and had success, says, I'm nothing, I'm dust. And that's the biggest test. Why? Because sometimes Hashem gives us a in something whether it be money, or it be wisdom, or it be something. But the bigger test is to use that atzlacha to sanctify Hashem's Barach. To sanctify Hashem's name. But if you do the opposite, you take that atzlacha, you take it to your head, it's like, uh, I did it. I made the money. I uh, toiled, and that's why I'm smart. I worked really hard and I went to university and that's why I'm able to cure these diseases. I did it. Ooh, uh, ooh, uh, they're preparing a villa for you. 
warm climate. Why? It's Midad of Bilam. Midad of Bilam. But you also see, the Rabbeinu Harish also says, if you notice, if you notice, that Avram had a son named Ishmael. He had a son named Ishmael. And uh, when uh, Sarah told him to kick him out because he's, uh, he's no good for us, Avram must have noticed that his son is not exactly a tzaddik. He noticed. Rabbi Nuhar says, yeah, of course he noticed. Of course he noticed. But how come he didn't kick him out himself? How come it was hard for him to do it? How come it was hard for him? But he still did it. But how come it was hard for him to do it? He says because he knew that really Ishmael became Ishmael because of his mother. Because of the bad midot of his mother, Hagar. Hagar became successful. How? Hashem allowed her to become pregnant with Avram's child, first child. She took it to her head. So she complained against Sarah, even though Sarah didn't change. Sarah didn't change. Rabbi Ariel Levin says, Sarah didn't change. But why did Hagar complain against her? He says, oh, Sarah is bothering me, she's bothering me, bothering me, bothering me. Why? Because Sarah didn't change, but Hagar changed. When she changed? When she succeeded. When she succeeded, figuratively speaking, she succeeded, she got pregnant with Ishmael. She says, ah, I got pregnant with Avram's uh, son. You're, you're nothing. You don't have anything. You have a stomach with nothing in it. You have nothing in it. Ah, so I'm the first wife. I'm the most important. She took success to her head. Avram said it was hard for him to kick out Ishmael. Why? Because he says, look, Hagar, look kind of trouble she got himself for. She's still an Egyptian. Even though she's in my house for all these years, she's still an Egyptian. She still has the Midot of Paro. She still has the Midot of Paro. But with all of those Midot, look what she did to Ishmael. He was so bad. But, but that's still Ishmael under my influence. Meaning she ruined him, but he's still not completely terrible because he's still under my roof. What's going to happen if he only has Hagar to influence him? So that's why Avram was hesitant. He says he's already bad even with some influence for me. If he only has influence from Hagar, Hashem Yachem. He could become a big nation that wants to kill Jews. And that's what happened. And that's what happened. Ishmael became a nation that wants to kill Jews. All starts with bad midot. All starts with bad midot. Last thing, Rabotai, for tonight. Last thing, I mean, there's a fantastic chidush, but it's just late. The million dollar chidush we're going to have to do next week. Unless you guys want to stay, we'll give you the chidush too, whatever you want. The last thing about Avram Avinu, we see that Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu sacrificed big, sacrificed big today in order to get tomorrow. When he gave away, when he gave away the ability to, to pretty much run the house when his wife Sarah said that uh, he's bad for us. We see that Avraham Avinu was a soldier of Hashem. This is expected from every Jew to do. Now, this week's parasha, I'll give you the chidush worth a million dollars for free. Parashat Shavua, Moshe Rabbeinu, Parashat Vayit teaches us the same thing. In the beginning of the parasha, he tells you, if you want anything in life, 
Vaitchanan. Learn Vaitchanan. Learn how to beg Hashem. Why? Matnat chinam. It's chinam. It's not. He doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you anything. Even Moshe Rabbeinu prayed 515 times. 515 times just to go into Eretz Yisrael. Hashem said no at the end. Rav Lach, enough. Why? You're going to get all the mitzvot you want to do in Eretz Yisrael. You're going to get from, from, the, from the people that you got them to do tshuva. All of Am Yisrael, they're going to do it. And you get the credit. Why? Because you taught them Torah. But regardless of that, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu cried to Hashem and wanted it. He wanted it, he wanted it, he wanted it. But Hashem says, listen, you're a leader, you have success, you have to share it. You have to get other people, you have to make sure it's continuous. So give Yeshua Benun, the koach, the chizuk, be generous with your words. V'tzavet Yeshua v'chazkeu v'amtzeu. Go to Yeshua, give him some chizuk, strengthen him. Why? It's midav Avraham Avinu. Be generous with your words, with your compliments. Tell him chazaku for finishing, for completing Masechet Brachot. You just created a new world in Shemaim. You don't even realize it. Chazaku Baruch for almost completing Masechet Megillah. Chazaku Baruch for staying in a shiur for three hours when the rest of the people are in bars or sleeping right now. Chazaku Baruch. Shrechem. But you should know, all of this, all of this, can be destroyed in a second. How? By becoming Bilam for a second. For a second. What was Bilam? Bilam was a person that had all of the presence in the world from Hashem Barach, but he gave them all up just to fulfill physical desires. Just to fulfill physical desires. Avraham became Avraham because he gave up the physical desires. So this week's parasha, Parashat Vayetchanan, says the, the following. Moshe Rabbeinu says to Am Yisrael in chapter 4, Verse 23, Literally, Literally translating to, beware for yourselves, Moshe Rabbeinu says. Beware for yourselves, lest you forget the Brit, the covenant of Hashem, your God, that He has sealed with you, and you make for yourselves a carved image, a likeness of anything, as Hashem, your God, has commanded you. For Hashem, your God, He is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you beget children and grandchildren, and will have been long in the land, you will grow corrupt and make a carved image, a likeness of anything, and you will do evil in the eyes of Hashem your God to anger Him. That's the pshat. It's the basic verse. You can read it, art scroll translation, no problem. What's the chidush? If you divide up these three verses into three significant parts, you can see something extraordinary. First and foremost, in the beginning of the verses, Moshe Rabbeinu says, "Ishamu lachem et brit Adonai." Keep the brit. Keep the brit. He says, "Keep the brit" a few times in the Torah. But then he continues, "Vasitem lachem pesel." Vasitem lachem pesel is tmunat kol. We see from other places in the Torah that Hashem considers 
wasting seed, the same thing as Avodah Zarah. So far, so good. But what happens? What happens with Gamabrit? What happens with wasting seed? What physically happens? Seed comes out of the body. What is this seed, spiritually speaking? What is this, physically speaking, spiritually speaking? What is it supposed to do? Create souls, creates children. So what does the verse say? Kitolid banim, ubne banim. What are you doing with this seed? These seeds bring children. And children's children. It's not just one, it's not just two, it's not just four, it's not just five, hundred thousand, hundred million, two hundred million. Scientists say three hundred million seeds per ejaculation. Three hundred million zraim in each time. Each time is supposed to go to the Kedushah. You bring it to Tum'ah. And Hashem says that when you do that, it's like you brought a korban to the Satan himself. Now when you're just using seed in a normal way, with a, in a legal way, in a kosher way, with the wife, oh Hashem, it's a mitzvah. Even though only one becomes a child, still the rest of them go into a holy place. But if you look at what? Rabbi Yitzchak Karo, the uncle of the Baal Shulchan Aruch, what he says, he says, look at this verse. It says, Vishchatem. Vasitem Pesel Tuna. It doesn't only say you're going to bring kids. It also says, Vishchatem. Vishchatem means corrupt, but also means Vishchot, to, to destroy the, the seed. To destroy the seed. What are you destroying? These Banim Ubne Banim that you created. You're destroying them. Now, how do we know for sure that this has a stamp of Hashem? Other than the fact that I got the okay that Rav Ephraim said it. How do we know? Because Rav Ephraim says, look, in Tisha B'Av, a few days ago, what do we read? We read this verse. We read this verse. We read it. We read it. We read it. That's what we read on, 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 from the Torah. We read it from the Torah. But we also have Aftarah. We also have Aftarah from Jeremiah for, for, for Tisha B'Av. What do we say Tisha B'Av? Aftarah is in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 13. Rabbi Ephraim says, look at this genius. Asofa sifem neuma Adonai ena navim bagefen. Says, I shall utterly destroy them, the word of Hashem, because there's, there will not be grapes on the vine. It is well known by the Chachamim, by the Mekubalim, by all of the people that understand what's going to happen at the end of days, that the Tikkun of the generation is Gamabrit. The Tikkun of the generation of Mashiach is wasting seed. That's, 